Woo! The Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, here for, well, a little extra content. Um, this is something that I actually got asked about recently, and it was, you know, to get asked about this, I mean, it's such a fun thing to talk about. I was like, well, how, how the hell, why wouldn't I do this? <laughs> you know, and admittedly, I mean, you know, full disclosure here, of course, you know, I <laughs> I never bullshit you guys ever. Uh Unlike, I think, a lot of other podcasters, um, you know, this is something that, honestly, like, I could talk about in my sleep uh, because it's so, so core uh, to my being. And what this is, is actually a ranking of every Kiss album ever. (laughs) Now, I'll break down in a second a little more about what I mean by that because we're obviously not going to cover, like, every Kiss album, you know, like Greatest Hits and all that, but... um, yeah, I, I did, uh, let's see, boy, three, four months ago, however long ago it was, I did a ranking of every Star Trek movie ever made, and it was a wildly popular episode. Uh, in fact, I might eventually release it on YouTube just because people thought it was so damn good. Uh, and the person that emailed me about doing this uh, said the same, that they just, they really, really enjoyed that. And I'm getting new, you know, we're getting new patrons uh, in for Sovereign Tech literally every week. And I'm so honored by that. And so they're going back, you know, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of hours now of content available, almost 100 Patreon-only episodes. And again, each of those episodes is usually, you know, well over an hour apiece. Um, so, you know, there's so much content to to, to latch on to. Um, and a lot of people have been checking out a lot of the past content and people enjoy my reviews and all of that. Uh, so I'm really honored that you do. Uh, so... Yeah, I was like, all right, well, you know, if people d- have dug the, the rankings in the past, uh, then let's let's do the rankings here for, you know, one of the subjects that, you know, honestly, like in comparison to Star Trek or maybe like Star Wars or something like that, you know, might be as far as like, a, a, you know, pop culture loves, I guess you could say. I mean, Kiss is really at the top there. Like, you know, as far as like things that, that are, you know, that have really... You know, I've said this many a time. I mean, Star Trek raised me, you know, and in some ways Star Wars did too. Star Wars is more entertaining. Star Trek is really like, I mean, and and I think Star Trek, (laughs) like, like, this is a whole other conversation. And I don't think people totally realize this. Um, And I I, I think I've mentioned this a bit before in the past, but like Star Trek really is a, I think it's an ideological and cultural Trojan horse. Like people don't realize just how, and I mean, and it's not, look, it's not just a TV show. People don't realize just how much like that's really changing. Uh, I, I think that it, it changes, you know, hearts and minds of people um, and how much it's actually building the future and like how much it's, uh, that's, that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it really is. It's a Trojan horse. Like it, it, it is such a subversive uh, cultural phenomenon. And I, I think it is, well, you know, more so than anything else, uh, you know, I, it, it's going to, you know, 200 years in the future, and I, we're here to talk about KISS, so <laughs> I don't want to talk about Star Trek for much longer, but um, I think, you know, 100, 200 years in the future, I think people might look at, and you might think this sounds crazy, but I think people are really going to look back at Star Trek as being something like the Bible, like the Holy Bible, as far as being a cultural force that changed so much. I, I really think that's going to happen. A little prediction there for you. Now, people may not look back on Kiss in such a way, uh, but I think that Kiss certainly deserves in the musical lexicon 
uh, deserves a very high ranking, a very special place. Um, I know a lot of people, a lot of your quote unquote more serious, you know, music critics and whatever would claim Kiss to be a band that is more uh, st- that is style over substance. Um, I can respect that opinion. I can understand where that opinion comes from. Um, I I don't necessarily agree. I mean, in a way, like I said, I do. I get it. I like. I understand. I understand that point. But I think they are also a band that musically, like there's there's a lot to respect. There's a lot of there's a lot to respect in that substance, even if that substance can, you know can be simplistic at times. Um, we're talking about you know as we break these albums down, we're talking about a band that pretty much from. Let's see. They started in 1974. That's when their first their self-titled album came out Uh, that, you know, for for a few years there, they were actually coming out with like two albums a year, if not more, you know, from like 74, say to 78. They had so many albums coming out. I mean, you know, literally in four years. I mean, yeah, a couple of them are, are, you know, or at least one of them is a live album. The live two had, you know, had it had bonus tracks on it, which you know, chalked up to a, pretty much a full, you know, re- original album, um, you know, for, for that time, for 1978, or for the, well, that came out in 77. But I mean, you know, you had like 12, 13 albums get released in four years. You know, that's crazy to have that kind of productivity. And it's not like, well, they, they blew their load in four years. Are you fucking kidding me? You know, for most people, their best music, uh, or not for most people, I shouldn't say that. Um, you know, for a lot of people, you know, some great music would continue to come out. I mean, honestly, you know, 30, 40 years later. So, so it's not like they, they lost their touch, you know, by any means, some of their best sales would, uh, you know, would end up, you know, coming out over the following decade from that. Uh, so that, that's kind of crazy to say that. I mean, but it's just, it's unbelievable. Just the, the, the amount of music that this, that this group has released, um, and I think they're the number one American gold record selling, you know, uh, artist of all time, which that <laughs> after a fashion, that is a really important, you know, only bested by the Beatles uh, as far as internationally. But like that, that's a pretty important metric because today, you know, with music sales being practically non-existent, uh, you know, for most uh, most musicians, most artists, most groups, uh, bands you know, gold albums are now the gold standard, like platinum's practically fucking unheard of, you know, like that's platinum's almost a fluke. I think even for the music industry today, uh, and not to say that kiss hasn't had a ton of platinum albums. They most certainly have. Uh, it's just, obviously it looks good to say you're the number one, you know, American gold, uh, gold album selling, you know, band. I mean, that, that's a hell of a metric to, to, you know, to put out there. So, yeah, I, I, I really don't think that you can just write off Kiss as being style over substance. Obviously, there's a lot of music out there, and a lot of it's great music. A lot of it charted very well, um, even if it took a little while after it was released to end up charting very well, but it did. Uh, you know, certainly a band that, that put live albums on the map um, for a while. I mean, it, you know, and to say, and actually, I'm going to do a separate breaking down as well. I'm going to include, so how this is going to work, okay, is that, I'm going to give, including live album and live albums and some greatest hits albums, because some of the greatest hits albums have a lot of songs on them that are great songs that should not be 
non not included in a list of greatest you know kiss uh, uh, pieces of all time. So they're going to be in there. Uh, there's some greatest hits albums like Kiss 40, uh, Greatest Kiss, You Wanted the Best. I mean, like some of those I'm not going to include here because they don't really add a whole lot. Even though You Wanted the Best, I I do enjoy that because it has one of the rare live works. Um, by the late, great Eric Carr, who replaced uh, Peter Peter Chris. We'll talk about that as we break down the albums. Um, but, uh, and, and as far as live albums, you know, I'm going to do all the Alive albums, of course. Th- those are, and we'll cover beyond that. But um, I am going to do, so I'm going to include some of the greatest hits, some of the live albums. I am going to include them in the overall ranking of, of, each, of each album. Or, you know, of, of, of all the Kiss albums. But at the end, I'm actually going to do a separate ranking of the live albums from Kiss. And then I'll do, like, greatest uh, greatest album. You know, just raw album over, uh, you know, kind of overall. Or what I'm going to do is, at the end, I'm going to have, like, what is the best uh, greatest hits? I'm sorry. What's the best greatest hits to buy? By them, like if you could just buy one greatest hits, which one would you buy? Uh, of course, you can torrent this shit. So you know the, the, that kind of limitation and the purpose of doing a rank like that, or you know, ranking something like that, is kind of moot. But whatever, if you wanted, like, what's that one Kiss album known? Uh, I'll tell you what that is. And the, uh, you know, as far as greatest hits, and then at the end, I wanted to be like, what is like the greatest Kiss, you know, retrospective album that you could possibly have out of them all, greatest hits or otherwise? Like, what, well, like, just what is the top album? Um, because it actually won't be this that that album that I just mentioned, which we'll end off with, is not the same as the best Kiss album ever. So I think those are important things to to kind of break down. And I'll put all these in the show notes. Um, but I, I hope, you know, you'll want to hear why I ranked all of these things. Uh, like in the past, when I've done these kind of rankings, I've actually been reticent to include them, to include, you know, the actual listing of them in the show notes, because part of me was like, yeah, people are just going to look at it and say, okay, I disagree with them. And they're going to say, you know, fuck off. That's where I'd really like you to hear what, you know, why I chose uh, things this way. But at the same time, a lot of people said, it's like, oh, I, you know, I, I don't recall the name of what you listed off. Could you put it in the show notes? So I'm going to make sure this is all in the show notes. Uh, so it's going to be a long set of show notes because Kiss has had a lot, you know, a lot of albums, um, you know, o- over the years. And they're not, even though at times it seems like they're stopping, they're, you know, they're really, I don't think they're going to stop. Uh, Kiss is also, I think this is going to be, in fact, what was... I think it was the the 2099 episode. I think so. Okay, so I did um, I did Sovereign Tech 2099, a legendary episode of Sovereign Tech. It was literally the 99th episode um, of Sovereign Tech, and in that I was in the fictional future. I was in the year 2099, and for uh, what was at the time was pick of the week. Now it's the climax. Uh, I actually talked about what I called Kiss Two and Kiss Three, and what that was, you know, what what the, this this you know, fictional argument of mine was, was about does Kiss 3, which is ended up being this like holographic version of Kiss <laughs> of the original members and everything, were they better than Kiss 2, which what I, you know, again, is all fictional. I said Kiss 2 was the the band that ended up replacing, you know, Gene and Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. Um, and so, you know, because I think that, and, and really Paul and Gene have said that they're going to do this, is that, yeah, Kiss is going to go on without Paul and Gene. Now, that might seem unheard of for a lot of people, but I really think that's going to happen. I think Kiss is bigger than the sum of its parts uh, for a bunch of different reasons. Um, and I think that they're actually going to break that rule about, 
um, you know, they have to wear the certain makeup and everything. I think that's going to change. And my theory at the time on that episode, on that Cybertech 2099 episode, was based upon there was a, the fun little animated movie, uh, Kiss, Kiss Meets Scooby-Doo. And in that, there's a point where, like, Scooby and the gang, you know, they end up... I'm a huge Scooby-Doo fan. Uh, Scooby and the gang, they actually end up going to, like, this, like, kiss world. And there, there are a bunch of different people. They're all wearing kind of the kabuki, you know, makeup and everything. But there is... like there are a bunch of different like characters. It's not just, you know, the star child, the demon, uh, the celestial, you know, and the cat. Um, of course, Eric Carr would get to have his own, you know, his own makeup. He'd have the Fox. Um, and Vinnie Vincent would end up with, you know, the magician, like he had the Ankh on his, which I thought was a really cool makeup style. And I'd love to see come back. Um, but anyway, so, so, you know, I think that's going to be a thing. So kiss, you know, this isn't like over, you know, this isn't final. Uh, I'm sure in the future, I'm going to have to do a new ranking because I think there's going to be Kiss albums literally for the next hundred years uh, that will keep coming out. So keep that in mind uh, that that eventually I, you know, I do plan on there's going to be more of these just by, you know, the nature of of what Kiss does. Um, So why don't we why don't we start breaking into it? I again, this is this was tough. Um, Like the first five are easy for me to do because I'm like, oh, yeah, I. I, I instantly know what my favorite Kiss albums are. Uh, and, you know, but then, you know, breaking it down later on, yeah, it gets a little harder to, you know, to kind of kind of choose which one, you know, which ones end up becoming your favorite. But this is, you know, effectively a complete, you know, breakdown uh, and ranking of every Kiss album to ever come out. Uh, now, it is important to remember that, of course, Kiss is a unique band, or not unique, it is one of the rare bands that really has multiple stages to the band. Uh, one can think of like Deep Purple, which has like, you know, Deep Purple Mark 1, Mark 2, Mark 3, Mark 4, Mark 5. And like now, what are they on? Mark 6 or something. Um, you know, where you have different versions of the band. Kiss really did have different versions of the band. Not so much that the band members really changed the tone. Like as in, as they bring in new band members, you know, like Bruce Kulick or Eric Carr uh, or Eric Singer you know, or Mark St. John or Vinnie Vincent or whatever. Not so much, well, Vinnie Vincent's, a, there's an argument to be made there, but not so much that they change the style, uh, you know, of, of the band so much. You know, the, the band would change with the style of the times, really. But that you had, like, really different eras in that, you know, again, that, that Kiss style would, would change. Not the style necessarily of the music so much, but just, like, the style of what the band presented you know, on stage. I mean, it's always top-notch, always an amazing stage show and things like this, but you have the time where Kiss was a real mystery when they had the makeup on, and then they had their big moment, you know, in uh, what ended up, what was it, 1981, 80, 80, or 82, uh, was it? Or was it, was it 80? Let's, yeah, I, I guess it would end up being 82, or 83, uh, more particularly, when Lick It Up came out. So when in 83, you know, they had that thing on MTV where they did the big reveal, and they took off the makeup, and you finally saw, you know, what, Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, of course, Peter Chris and Ace Fraley weren't part of the band at the time, um, but you finally saw what they looked like. And so that was huge. And then, you know, fast forward all the way to 1996, 97, they put the makeup back on. And so you kind of have th- at least three diff- three to four different versions of Kiss, like already, <laughs> you know, I mean, Paul and Gene are always there, but then, you know, there's somewhat of a revolving door, even though there's, there are times of great stability, certainly in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, you know, when it ended up being Eric Carr, who would end up dying, unfortunately, 
uh, due to a battle with cancer and would be replaced by Eric Singer. But she had, you know, Bruce Kulick there, and uh, and that was pretty good. So anyway, um, you know, keep in mind that there is that that certain that breakdown of, of how that, you know, how, you know, there's the makeup era and there's the non-makeup era. Uh, admittedly, for me, I'll just put this right out there, and this might not be popular with a lot of people, but I don't give a shit. Um, I am a much bigger fan of the non-makeup era of Kiss than I am of the makeup era. So you're going to see that reflect, admittedly, in in my ranking. But that's enough. Why don't we just start talking about it? Let's break into it. So actually, I'm going to do this a little weird. Uh, normally, you know, on a, on a top 10 list or something like that, which this is way more than 10, uh, normally you start off with the least, you know, with kind of the worst album. Um, because at the end, I'm going to do, you're, you know, we're going to do another breakdown and we're going to end up kind of with the ultimate, you know, sort of Kiss album, really. Um, I'm actually going to start with number one. I'm going to start with my, you know, as far as ranking, I'm going to start off with my favorite. And then we'll go all the way down to uh, to, to the least uh, in this case. So it is, yeah, we, we are, I am doing it, you know, somewhat in reverse. But anyway, here we go. So the number one album, and this is probably going to shock, and I bet, like I, I really bet there is nobody else on the planet that would probably put this as their number one, your, you know, as their favorite Kiss album of all time, uh, what they consider, you know, the best. Uh, now, you know, this is kind of important before I say what it is, I want, I want to, I want to break this, this little bit of, uh, of info down with any kiss album, except for maybe, you know, not counting live or greatest hits albums. I can only think of two albums where like, there's really more than say like three genuinely great classic songs. Well, you know, usually it's three, maybe four you know, and, and depending on, especially like, you know, Kiss's, you know, their earlier work, say from, well, really when to, you know, understand they were coming out with an album of some type every year from 1974 all the way up to, to 1985 or, or 1986. And then what is it in, in 87, um, the, you know, they had a very brief, <laughs> you know, they kind of took like, like one year or so 1986, I should say 1986 is the year that they took off. So from 74 to, to 85, like 11 years, there was so much kiss content coming out. Um, there was a, you know, effectively at least an album almost every year, if not more than that, when you count the, you know, the 78 kiss solo albums, which each one was really a kiss album, uh, regardless of it being billed as a solo, uh, you know, we'll talk about more, more of those when, when we get to them. So, but you know, in that from, you know, from 74 to 85, pretty much every album had like, you know, as far as like great songs, there's like three great songs and the rest are still very good. They're just not like that great, you know, charting song. Um, Destroyer might be the, you know, might, might, might be the outlier on that. Maybe Love Gun, Revenge, which would be after that 85 date, Revenge, uh, you know, of course, came out uh, significantly, you know, significantly later uh, than that. Uh, you know, Revenge would end up coming out in that would have been 1992. Um, but those like those three albums maybe had, you know, more than three or four really great songs. Uh, but keep in mind, or like I was going to say, with, you know, everything pre 85, you know, the albums were generally like maybe eight, nine tracks. Uh, maybe they'd get into 10 or 11, you know, afterwards then they, they would get into, you know, kind of longer albums, but keep that in mind that, 
you know, it really comes down to how do you chart a great Kiss album? Most of the time, I mean, there's an overall flavor that you get, you know, kind of with, with the, the more, you know, uh, metal that, or rock that's, that, you know, that, that's, that surrounds an album. Uh, but generally, you know, you're going to be basing it upon, you know, three or four really great songs. And, you know, they're really great songs. Like, they're fucking amazing songs. So, you know, it's like usually, you know, one of those three songs or, you know, those those three songs are some of the greatest rock ever written. Just, you know, straight up. Uh, and certainly some of the sexiest. Which that's, you know, keep in mind my, you know, part of my deep passion for, for Kiss, um, you know, is the amount of sexy that that they deliver like that they are they are completely unabashed in in you know in pushing forward the fact that the gospel of rock and roll is absolutely about sex you know um and not even about the the drugs and <laughs> i mean it certainly is about the rock and roll but not even so much about the drugs because of course Paul Stanley and certainly Gene Simmons even more so are notoriously teetotalers you know but they're one of the greatest rock acts of all time you know, and certainly some of the greatest parties in the world ever, you know, were were, were held at their concerts. Uh, so, which is an interesting dynamic, certainly. And they're not the only ones that are like that. There's a lot of people, a lot of bands that a lot of people don't realize where sort of, you know, the the, the major guys involved are, are actually teetotalers. Um, you know, you think, for example, like Twisted Sister, uh, you know, J.J. J. J. French and, you know, D. Snyder, like, you know, they're, they're notoriously clean. Uh, as far as, you know, as far as that stuff goes, I'm not knocking anybody that does, you know, that stuff. And, and certainly one can make an interesting case. How does drugs affect rock and roll? Uh, you know, that that's that's a hell of a conversation to have, because, you know, then there's there's bands that not like Gene and Paul were or at least certainly with Gene, where who was a major creative thrust where like they never did drugs or drink. Um, but then you have, but then you have bands where what happens after they clean up, suddenly they lose a lot of their creative chops, it seems. Well, <laughs> you know, and I know people would take issue with the phrase clean up and that's fine. I understand, you know, your concerns around that and that's, you know, I, I totally get it, but we're not here to talk about that. So, all right. So my, my favorite Kiss album, Enough the Tease, is 1985's. Again, it's the end of that long run, that run from 74 to 85, where they're coming out with at least one, two albums a year. It was Asylum, which was the, you know, just, it was, it was the end of that run. And, and I, I think there's, there might be something to that, like why they needed to take a break for a year after, you know, after um, Asylum. One could make the argument that the reason they took a break in 1986 was because, you know, Asylum still did like double platinum. I mean, it, it still sold like crazy. You know, they didn't have any problem with that, but maybe they felt that their concert sales weren't doing very well or, you know, something was going on. They needed to, to take a little bit of a break, maybe do a little bit of a rebranding, which we might get into with, with the follow up to Asylum. But whatever the case, Asylum was was really an end of an era, because like I said, every year you had some kind of Kiss album coming out for 11 years, you know, right up into that. And Asylum has, I mean, in my opinion, it has far more than just three great songs, but you can easily point to three great songs off of the album. Um, now, Asylum is part of the non-makeup era, obviously being in 85. Um, and the non-makeup era, at the time, Gene Simmons was really taking a break, was kind of, or 
well, yeah, he was really taking a break from the band. Um, he was trying to pursue an acting career, a producing career. You know, he was doing like uh, Simmons Records or whatever. Um, I mean, there was like a, there was a whole bunch of different things that Gene was trying to do. And I can really respect that. In fact, I mean, it, if you're wondering who's my favorite uh, 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 member of, of Kiss, obviously it's Gene Simmons. I mean, just, you know, Paul Paul's really close, really up there. But Gene Simmons is just is the man, in my opinion. Um but and I can really respect like that desire to want to do so many things to not just have one creative outlet. I feel that all the time, um, and I and I try to uh, satiate and satisfy. I should say uh, that you know that 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 uh, desire you know to have so many creative outlets. So at the time, you know, Gene's he's doing his acting. Was he in Runaway Right? I think he was in an episode of Miami Vice. I mean, you know, he's kind of all over the place and. Uh, and so he, you know, Paul, Paul Stanley was really the driving force in KISS at the time and the main creative uh, uh, contributor. And so, the st- you know, the musical style was different. Yeah, you know, there's the fact that, you know, the 80s was the whole hair metal, glam metal, whatever um, era. And so they were trying to match up with that to some degree, which, you know, understand, it's not like they were trying to match up with it. They created, you know, effectively that genre, you know, like the hypersexualized um you know, all, all the makeup and everything. I mean, they, you know, they took that to its to its ultimate heights. Uh, so it's not like they were being copycats. So, but Paul was really, you know, kind of given free reign. He didn't have Ace. You know, Ace Fraley wasn't in the band anymore. Peter Chris wasn't in the band anymore. And Gene Simmons was not against being in Kiss. He was just off kind of doing his own thing. So he was, you know, the creative driver. And so, you know, it ended up, he, he just, thr- you know, Paul thrived. In this environment, at the t- musical environment, certainly in the metal scene at the time, where you know everything was just over the top, you know, kind of ridiculous, crazy guitar solos, and of course, you know, Paul Stanley's a, a fine guitarist in his own right, um, and just you know, kind of almost this flamboyance. Now that that term often gets used to describe gay. A lot of people wonder is Paul Stanley gay? I wouldn't be shocked if he was bisexual. I'm not here to talk about that. Okay, <laughs> uh, but. Um, you know, he, he definitely got to live it up and, and, and play up a lot of things that I, I think he was really into. I mean, it, like it's so, for example, it's notorious that Paul at like parties and everything, you know, like to like to dress up as one of the ladies and whatever. And hey, you know, do your thing, man. I think that's that's fucking awesome. So anyway, so this is the time that really allowed Paul to, to you know, to take it to the top. And and I think. At the time, for the style that was going on, you know, all the fluorescence, all the bright colors, you know, the 80s. I think that, that Kiss, like, beat everybody at that. Uh, again, partly because they were the progenitors of it, but also, I mean, they just, like, Paul Stanley just, you know, this was his thing. And, like, he just, I don't know, he just exemplified and uh, and uh, exacerbated, like, all of these different attitudes, the sexiness, I mean, the, the whole thing. And so the kind of the big three songs from Asylum uh, would end up being Who Wants to Be Lonely?, uh, then there's uh all night, literally uh u h uh, exclamation point all night, and the very popular song. I mean, at the time, like this was a smash fucking hit. Was uh, tears are falling, and you know if you watch, there's a great DVD. I, I should have done like a ranking of DVDs because also Kiss has not just some of the you know one of the largest album counts of any band in history. They have one of the largest home video releases count of anybody in history because it is you know they are as much as they are an audio. Uh, uh, you know, act. They are a very visual act. And so, you know, that lends itself to having a lot of home video releases, right? Uh, My favorite home video release from Kiss is definitely Kiss Exposed. 
Um, and in that, you get a lot of the music videos, especially from the 80s. And, you know, you see the videos for Tears Are Falling, for Who Wants to Be Lonely, for uh, All Night. The, I mean, the video for Who Wants to Be Lonely is probably my favorite Kiss video, music video of all time, uh, with Lick It Up, you know, kind of kind of getting close with that, but um, I, I just love that music video. And I mean, there's just women everywhere in leather and everything, you know, and they're all dancing around in like in this bathhouse with like showers going and all this. I mean, it's, it's fucking, it's wild, <laughs> you know? And and that album, that whole album of Asylum just exudes that attitude. You know, it's just, it's pouring out of it. Um, so, you know, Tears Are Falling, uh, All Night, Who Wants To Be Lonely? I mean, there's other, King of the Mountain, I think is a great song, Trial By Fire, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of great, you know, songs on that album, in my opinion. Like, I think it's track for track. I listen to the whole thing all the time. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I just, I think it took everything that made Kiss so great, brought it to, it also brought it to a highly technical level, because at the time, this is when you would end up with kind of the, the second great, the second greatest, maybe, version of of Kiss, where it's, um, you know, Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Bruce Kulick taking over for Ace Fraley or what actually was Vinnie Vincent, then Mark St. John, who ended up with a medical condition that he couldn't play um, any longer. He was he was only on the one album, Animalized, which Asylum was the sequel to. And then, uh, you know, and then you had, of course, Eric Carr at the time. And then, you know, you end up with Eric Singer later on. But really, I think that that, that four is like the greatest lineup of Kiss was Eric Carr, Bruce Kulick, um, Gene Simmons, and Paul Stanley. And Asylum was the start of that. Uh, and it, and it's, it's such a great album. Like, I mean, it, it, and it, it just shows not, I mean, Gene was off doing his own, own thing, but just how tight musically they were. And you just, you get it totally on display. I mean, this is the best technical, uh, you know, that, 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 that Kiss, technical presentation that Kiss ever brought, put on. Um, in my opinion, with maybe the second album on this list being the the one that that would be a runner up to it, uh, that you know that one could argue is actually kind of the best technical presentation. But I mean, there's you know there's complexity to the music, which is not commonplace uh, in most Kiss albums. It's there in other Kiss albums, but it's not the most common thing. Uh, I just I think Asylum is so good. You know the, the the style that it brings on, the substance that it has. The songs are so obviously, you know, I mean, just over the top sexual, which is exactly what, in my opinion, you want out of a Kiss album. Uh, it's a very positive album, you know. And there's not really, and this is the other thing I like about it too. Now, I Kiss has awesome ballads. I love Kiss's ballads, but there's not a ballad on this fucking album, not one. And I think that's great. You know, I mean, it's pre the two precursors to Asylum, they didn't have ballads on them either, okay? And they probably didn't because that was a style that was selling for them at the time uh, because Lick It Up was such a huge success for them after really what, you know, were sadly some failures. Um, and then Animal Eyes was also a huge hit uh, that, that that too also, you know, did, didn't have any of those. Um, but I really like the fact that there wasn't a ballad on there. This was just a balls-out cheesy fucking album. And I, I, you know, I, I think that's fucking, I think that's great. Uh, so anyway, um, Asylum is definitely the, the, the number one, uh, pick here in my opinion, you know, just it's the album I go to over and over again and that I listen to all the time. And even, you know, the music videos for it equally are the best. Uh, not that that necessarily should count towards an album, but 
you know, it's, it's worth mentioning. So, all right, number two is, and this is tough because these two albums, like I can imagine times where I'd feel that the album I'm about to mention would actually be my number one, but then Asylum would just be number two. It would never really fall any further than that. Uh, and this is, for a lot of people, this is one of their favorite albums, and some people consider it to be a return to form, not with putting the makeup back on, but just with, like, you know, kind of more like a mixture of their classic attitude and yet their 80s technicality, uh, you know, that they would deliver. And that is 1992's Revenge. And this is absolutely a great fucking album, regardless if you're a Kiss fan or not. I think to appreciate Asylum, you have to be a Kiss fan. Like you, you've got it. You've got to love what Kiss brings to the table. As to where I think Revenge, if you've never heard a Kiss, if you had no idea. In fact, if you never heard a Kiss, if you, if like suddenly you just listen, you put this album on today. I think it holds up so well. I think you'd instantly think, you know, who is this band of of twenty somethings, you know, that I'm listening to? When really, you know, they were well into their like forties <laughs> or you know, or late thirties, uh, you know, when they ended up making this album. I mean, this is so far, you know, this is twenty years into their career, uh, which is unheard of to come up with an, to come out with an album that would get received so well by critics, so well by fans, stands up so well even to this day. You know, still sounds so perfect and good. Uh, you know, for it to be 20 years into your career, that's, that's crazy. I don't know many people, maybe Aerosmith could make that claim. I don't even think Metallica can make that claim. I don't, you know, I don't, I really don't know how many bands could make that claim that you come out with your, arguably your best album. And I say, arguably, it's not my favorite, but you come out with arguably your best album by every metric, 20 years into your career. That's nuts. Yeah. Maybe Judas Priest could pull that off. I don't know. But anyway, Revenge, I mean, this is, you're not just talking three songs. There are so many great fucking songs um, on this album. You know, it's nuts. I mean, you've got uh, Heart of Chrome, of course, is, is an apps. Uh, well, I'm not even starting off with the big ones. <laughs> okay. So uh, you have, un- it, the, the album starts off with Unholy. Amazing song. Um, you know, amazing song. And, and most of these songs all ended up with videos too, incredibly, but that's because they were all kind of hits. Uh, so you start off with Unholy. Then you go into Take It Off. Okay, then what is, is it? Spit after that. Um, then you go into Domino. You know, then you've got uh, Tough, uh, yeah, Tough Love. Um, oh man, you know, then God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too, which of course was, a um, that was originally a song, not on, Re- it wasn't originally for Revenge, but it was Bob Ezrin produced, which Bob Ezrin, of course, was, you know, kind of the producer for Destroyer, some of Kiss's biggest albums. So it's interesting that Bob Ezrin comes back and suddenly they come out with this great album, right? Which Bob Ezrin is obviously a, you know, legendary producer, worked with Alice Cooper, Deep Purple, all of them. Uh, definitely one of my favorite producers in the industry uh, and just a great guy to, to ever, you know, listen to he's, he's, and hang out with. He's phenomenal. Um, but, you know, he, they did God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too. Uh, which is kind of a remake of, of another song. Was, was that from Slade or Angel? I think it was Angel. That was on the uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey uh, soundtrack, which Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, you know, big hit, whatever. Um, so they end up going and, you know, they go and do Revenge and they put that song on there. So, of course, that song, you know, shows up and it's fantastic. Then you have Thou Shalt Not, Heart of Chrome. Um, there's at the end of it, there's the Eric Carr jam from 1980. Uh, was that, is that the 1981 Eric Carr jam where it's just Eric Carr just kind of like doing his little thing, uh, which was really cool. Cause this would be the first album without Eric Carr and they bring on Eric Singer. 
then you uh, another great song is I Just Wanna, which has the funny like play on words where it's I Just Wanna Forget You. You know, like the the song is called I Just Wanna. And it sounds like the lyrics are saying or, or what the lyrics are saying is I Just Wanna Forget You. But the way that Paul Stanley sings it, they break up the word forget into forget. And it sounds like I Just Wanna Fuck. And and when you listen to live versions of the songs, you know, a lot of that song, uh, generally, you know, depending on the time frame that you're listening to it, uh, they don't really perform that song much anymore. Um, but Paul will actually say, I just want to fuck, you know, so you know that the joke, like it's it's a total in joke. It's kind of like Britney Spears. If you see gamey, it's, you know, if you fuck me like that's that's what the song's saying. Right. And, and so that I mean, that song's just high energy, a lot of fun. Um. So the only week, like literally, I think this album is track for track. Obviously, the Eric Carr jam, you don't really count that as a song. That's just on there for posterity to include Eric Carr as part of it. Uh, and and that's a beautiful thing for a band to do. The only weak song on here is is Gene's Paralyze. And Gene did, you know, kind of reinsert himself. Like he, you know, he started getting rededicated uh, to Kiss with this album. Uh, and and you can tell because, you know, that kind of that classic badass style that Gene generally b- brings us to where Paul, you know, it's all about the flamboyancy, you know, and over the top and everything. You know, Gene's badassery kind of comes back. But ironically, he also has the only weak song on the album. The only the only thing that keeps it from being like absolutely perfect and unquestionably the greatest Kiss album of all time uh, is the fact that Paralyze is a really weak song. Like, I mean, it, in fact, it sucks. Like, it, it's a it's a sh- I don't I, I almost never listen to it. I just think it's a shitty song. You know, there you go. The other Gene songs on there, Unholy, Domino, all, I mean, they're the best Kiss songs ever written. You know, I mean, some of the best anyway. But Paralyze is just pure shit. <laughs> it's so bad, which maybe that's why I give it the number two slot, just because I can't forgive that song. It's just terrible. It is, that is undeniably, in my opinion, the worst Kiss song of, of them all. I mean, it, it, even worse than the Kiss theme, which that's actually a song, the Kiss theme. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, it's even worse than the songs than every song on the elder paralyze is so bad. Uh, so, I mean, it's it, like, it's total filler. I can't believe they let it on there. I don't understand why they let it on there because it cheapens the rest of the album. I would have left it off. Uh, I don't know. Gene must've felt some need to have that on there, but otherwise all the songs on there are great. In fact, little known fact, and I didn't realize this until recently. So something I've talked about is. Uh, a guy that I, I recently discovered who I kind of knew of in the past because he was in Alice Cooper's bands for two of Alice Cooper's best albums, Raise Your Fist and Yell and Constrictor. Um, and I've talked about this on Sovereign Tech because when I found out about the guy, he was all I could talk about. Uh, and that being Kane Roberts, who was a guitarist, you know, music writer. Now he's a video game designer, but from the 80s or, or from the early, you know, late 80s, early 90s, um, he had his two albums or, well, he technically has three and he's working on a fourth, but he had his two big albums, which was his self title, Kane Roberts, and then he had Saints and Sinners, which came out was at 91. He co wrote uh, my favorite song off of Revenge, which is Take It Off, which ironically, Take It Off and Domino at the time, and this is a very important fact to, to understand, at the time in 1992 and 93, were the number one and number two songs in the world for strip clubs, like straight up, like it was just known that they were the number one and number two songs at strip clubs. Um, believe me, there are metrics for that. And, <laughs> and, 
And that's awesome. I mean, how cool is that? You know, like, fuck being top 40, you know, or, you know, fuck being on the billboard. If you're the number one and number, you have the number one and number two stripper songs in the world, you're killing it, man. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you're taking it. And I had no idea that, you know, take it off is, you know, I mean, what's your, like, what's your favorite Kiss song? Like, that's almost impossible to say. Take it off would definitely be a runner up, you know, for that list. Uh, it'd certainly be at the top. It'd easily be in the top three. And and for it to be written by Kane Roberts, that's amazing. Now, I didn't know that. It's not like I never read the liner notes. Just the name Kane Roberts didn't mean anything to me until a couple of years ago. And now it's like, oh, oh holy fuck. <laughs> you know, this is, this is awesome. So I, I just, I think that's so cool. So yeah, Revenge, I mean, it had like this whole, you know, really had a very triple black attitude to it. I mean, just, just fantastic album. Um, like I said, except for Paralyze, fucking track for track. And you don't count the Eric Carr jam. I mean, there's, there, you know, that's, that's there for very good reasons. Um, but I mean, you, you know, you can go down that whole thing. Uh, <laughs> even like Thou Shalt Not, I love that song. Uh, Heart of Chrome, really good. Now there's arguments and we, we haven't gotten to lick it up yet, but there's, there's, an, there's a case that gets made that apparently Kiss brought back Vinnie Vincent to do some songwriting for this, which he doesn't really get any credit for. Um, I'm aware of that kind of conspiracy. Uh, and maybe, like Heart of Chrome, I think, is the one that they kind of admit that Vinnie Vincent might have had something to do with. Uh, but whatever, the, the, the whole, again, the whole album's great. You know, if, if, you, if there's any album you should listen to off of what I talk about here, this is definitely, you know, just like raw studio album, this is definitely the one you want to be listening to. Asylum, you might not appreciate as much as I do uh, because of its heavy cheese factor. This does not have a cheese factor. This just has pure badassery. Uh, <laughs> Revenge is 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 phenomenal. Even people that hated the non-makeup era, they still will own a copy of Revenge just because they know it's that fucking good. Um, so, okay, let's go to, uh, to number three here and <laughs> I'm going to lose track of the numbers. <laughs> so, so maybe after the top 10, we'll stop as far as counting them by number, because we have so many to go through. And most of them, I don't have that much, you know, as much to say on. So don't worry, this isn't going to go for three hours or anything because we're already like 40 minutes in. Um, but the next one is actually the follow-up to Revenge, which was 1993's Alive 3. Like I said, I would include greatest hits and live albums uh, in, this, in this breakdown because they are so core to what KISS is. And some of them have like unique tracks. Now, Alive 3 does not have any unique tracks. Um, as to where like Alive 2 had, you know, on the second, uh, second disc or second LP, however, you know, you had Alive 2, um, there are, you know, five, six songs, whatever, that effectively make up their own new original music album um, that are studio cuts. They're not, they're not actually like live tracks at all. Uh, Live 3 has none of that, but this is, I mean, this is such a great album, such a great retrospective for, for Kiss, like as far as like an entire career. Uh, I mean, and it has it all, has tons of tracks from Revenge because obviously at the time Revenge was a massive hit. I mean, you know, like that album was so huge. Uh, So, you know, there's a lot of tracks from there, like Unholy, Domino, I Just Wanna. In fact, that's where you're going to hear, um, you know, you're going to hear Paul explicitly say, I Just Wanna Fuck. Um, if you have the Japanese version of this, you uh, that that also includes Take It Off. And in my opinion, the Alive 3 is still, now me growing up, when I listened to it, okay, like I had the American version until I heard that there was a live version of Take It Off because I saw the video for Take It Off and I was like, whoa, wait a minute, this is a live cut. Where is this coming from? And and then I found out about the Japanese version. And in fact, Alive 3 is really the album that got me in the habit 
of buying imports, uh, you know, imported albums from Japan to get like those extra tracks and everything, because you f- I found out very quickly with the live three. And then you find it out with a lot of, uh, you know, other albums that, you know, there too, um, that like some of the best songs only get released in Japan or in where, or maybe it's like the Australian tour edition of an album or something like that. Right. Uh, so this started me on that whole kick of like, okay, no, I need to get the imports of these albums uh, and I'll pay the extra money. And certainly the song, take it off. Uh, the live version of it is well worth it. Uh, you know, paying double the price, say for the album. Now in 2006, there would be a, a live box set that would come out. Um, kind of a, a four disc set, which this set has issues. I'm going to talk about it later on in this, in this breakdown. Uh, but one of the advantages of owning the set was that it would have a live one, a live two, live three, and then it would have another, it would have the millennium concert, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but the version of the live three on that, on the live box set does have take it off on it. And that's the first time that was ever officially released in America. Well worth it for that. Like that's, it's totally worth buying that box set for that alone. There's other nice things in the box set and there's some things that aren't so nice about it. But like I said, we'll talk about that later when it gets into the rankings. Um, so yeah, a live three, I mean, and it has, it has stuff from creatures of the night on it, which was an album that was large, that was originally ignored. When Creatures of the Night first came out in 82, very ignored album. Um, that's going to be coming up in the rankings here pretty quick. Uh, but, you know, that's on there. And then, you know, you get a couple of, I mean, you get stuff from Lick It Up. You know, a lot of their non, it's, it's so, you know, for some people, it's their non-makeup era Alive album. Okay, but they still do, you know, they do Detroit Rock City. Um, you know, they, they still do some of their bigger songs from the, you know, from the 70s. And so, you know, there's a, there's a lot to like here. And the versions of, like... So probably the best song, I mean, it's track for track, but probably the best song on there is they do a super heavy version of um, I Was Made For Loving You off of 79's Dynasty album, which the Dynasty album is pretty divisive for a lot of Kiss fans because it, they experimented with disco at the time. They just, they did. Um, and I, I like the Dynasty album personally. And the song I Was Made For Loving You is actually the, the like, it's their only number one single. I think, uh, for kiss. So, you know, it was a, you know, dynasty was a huge deal again, very divisive for, for kiss fans, uh, but very popular, certainly in 79. Uh, but when you listen to, if you didn't like the disco version of, I was made for loving you, listen to, I was made for loving you off of, um, off of a live three. It's fucking intense. Like it's, it's such like there's just, and you're hearing the live album. There's, you know, there's rockets shooting off everywhere. I mean, like it, it's so, it's so crazy. That album is so well done. There's so much, you get so much flair in it. Uh, yeah. I mean, a live three is phenomenal. So easily in the top three uh, albums of all time. In fact, like I can barely listen to as much as I like dynasty, the album, I can barely listen to, I was made for loving you without hearing the live, like, uh, you know, kind of pyrotechnics and everything from a live three going off in my head. So I usually don't even bother listening to that version anymore. It's so good. Um, I mean, and some of like Paul Stanley is well known for his, his onstage banter. In fact, there's people that release entire albums, obviously bootleg of just like shit that Paul Stanley says on stage because <laughs> it's so wild. Uh, but live three has some of the best parts of that. Like where, you know, before it breaks into heavens on fire from animalize, you know, Paul Stanley has the whole thing. It's like, it's like, it's like, all right, it's like, you know, here's a song. You probably know this one by the beginning. It's a song that's got a beginning where it goes, oh, yeah, I know that one. It's a, and then he does the whole thing, you know, because animal uh, or the song Heaven's on Fire has that that really classic opening where it's just Paul Stanley going, oh, oh, 
you know, and, and he does that. But when you hear it live like that, it's so fucking cool. It's so good. Um, and then there's off of, uh, off of Creatures of the Night, there's the ballad, I Still Love You. I mean, I'm not against ballads. I like ballads, and Kiss does some of the greatest ballads in history. In fact, one could argue they kind of started the, the whole ballad trend being, you know, something legitimate for radio. Um, and I Still Love You is, is a great ballad of theirs. So, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm contradicting what I said when I was talking about Asylum. But uh, the version of that, the live version, is fantastic. Yes, let's be very clear, and this is true from a live one all the way to a live four and beyond. That there's a lot of sweetening that gets done, you know, b- b- <laughs> to make the album sound good. Like you, when you get a Kiss live album, you're not getting a completely raw cut. Okay, like you're, there's, there's some sweetening, there's some, you know, fixing, some adjusting, which almost every live album does. It's rare that that doesn't happen in a live album. Um, and certainly Kiss also, you know, kind of made that a thing as far as live albums go. Because live albums before Kiss were really an afterthought. You know, so when Kiss comes out with a live album, it's really still an event. Um, and a live three, I think, is the biggest event of them all. I, like, I, I think it, it's such a great retrospective of the entire band's career, certainly up until that point. Not that they didn't do great things afterwards. Certainly they did. Um, but it, it, a live three just, just puts it all out there. And like I said, you really hear the pyrotechnics. You hear everything going off. So you're getting a real audio show, you know, even more so than just hearing great music, uh, which is certainly on display with a live three. So I... I yeah, easily, you know, probably as far as most listened to, ironically, there's there's no showing from Asylum on there, uh, which is kind of weird. And there's no showing from some of the other 80s albums on there. But Lie 3 is just, just so rock solid as far as everything that it does put on. I mean, it, it you know, I it's probably my most listened to Kiss album. Like, you know, if I, if I just want to listen to some Kiss, I put in a Lie 3. You know, because I know I'm going to get such a, again, such a great retrospective of everything they've done. Uh, and I'm going to get that attitude and everything that kisses, all that style that Kiss is known for. Um, especially when you have the version that has Take It Off on it, because that's, that's totally worth it. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, all right, so let's go to number four. Number four would be uh, 1983's Lick It Up. Um, so this is 10 year previous to, uh, to a live three. And this is the album where they became unmasked. Now it's not unmasked; that's a separate album. Um, but this is the album that we're, we're, you know, a lot of people would would remember for. Okay, this is when they took the makeup off. Um, and it's not, you know, you can say that them taking off the makeup was some kind of marketing gimmick. Sure, I'm totally open to that. That's fine. But this album was no marketing gimmick. This is one of. There's a reason it's number four. This is one of the best selling. Kiss albums of all time. Amazingly, even with Kiss putting the makeup back on years later, they still play the song Lick It Up because it was such a huge hit and it's such a classic song. And in fact, a lot of people, I mean, there's other great songs and I'm going to list some of them. Okay. But a lot of people, you know, when you put on uh, Lick It Up, you know, and they just, they hear that opening, you know, and then Paul does his whole, yeah, yeah, right. Like, I mean, you, you cannot, you cannot you can't not smile from ear to ear. Like it's, it's such a great hook. It's such a happy go lucky song. It's dripping with sex. Like it's, and it's so obvious. It's so out there and the most prudish people in the world. I don't care. You hear that opening riff to lick it up. It should have been the first track on the album. It's not, I I love the opening track on, on lick it up. Exciter is fantastic. Okay. Uh, you know, it's the third track. It should have been the opening track, but I mean, as soon as you hear it, 
Like, I mean, you're just grinning because it's such a happy song. It's such a fun song. It's so good. But there's so much more to talk about with the album. And the music video for Lick It Up is fantastic, where they're walking through that post-apocalyptic world. Oh, that's fucking hot. <laughs> it's so hot. It's, it's so good. Oh, I love it. You know, they got all the... Oh, oh man, I could talk about that forever. So, uh, anyway, anyway, yeah, that this album is great. Of course, the lineup at the time is Vinnie Vincent, uh, Eric Carr, who now fully has, you know, really replaced Peter Chris, even though it was well known that he did it with the previous album, uh, Creatures of the Night. But now it's unabashed that, uh, that, that Ace Fraley has finally left the band. And even though really he had left before Creatures of the Night, um, and, uh, you know, you know, and then you, so you have Vinnie Vincent, Eric Carr, you know, Paul and Gene, and it's just, it's a tour de force of an album. There's really not a bad song on there. The only one that, that I think is a little rough is Young and Wasted. Uh, again, another Gene cut, and it's almost like Paralyzed, where it kind of keeps this from being a perfect album. Uh, some people like, you know, and Gimme More is kind of weak too. Gimme More and Young and Wasted are, are like sort of the weak tracks. But other than that, like some of the cheesier stuff on the eighth day, I love that. On the eighth day, God gave rock and roll. Um, a million to one, totally underrated song that you'll never see get played live, but it's an amazing uh, a track and, and I mean like it should be kind of a greatest hit I don't know why it never became a hit but a million to one is an awesome song on there and then there's of course all hell's breaking loose which was kind of the second hit off of that fantastic just a great great song uh, and the music video for it is phenomenal um, you know again more of that it's kind of a sequel to lick it up where the music video for it is more of the post-apocalyptic world very hot uh, and and like Paul's even kind of rapping in it and it just, it works. Like, it's a super cheesy song, but All Hell's Breaking Loose, I mean, you could play that right now and you'd think, it was singing, you'd think they were singing about today. It's, it's so good. Um, Not For the Innocent is the second track on the album, right after Exciter's Really Good, which is a Paul Stanley-led song. Um, and that's the nice thing about Kiss, is that you really have, you know, you always have at least two singers, if not more. You know, eventually Ace would sing, or eventually Bruce would sing, or even Eric would sing, or, you know, Eric Singer would sing, or Peter Chris would, with Beth, of course. I mean, that's pretty awesome, that, like, your entire band, each each sort of has, like, a hit single in a way, <laughs> you know, at various times. Um, but, uh, you know, that that's part of what makes Kiss, I think, gives them their longevity, is that you do have, like, even in one Kiss album, you have at least two or three styles, you know, that, that, that come out and that are, that are great, you know, that are, that are recognized hits and everything. Um, so, you know, it opens up with Paul with not for the, or for, uh, uh, Exciter. Then it goes to number two with not for the innocent, which is a great, like haunting track, you know, really heavy stuff too. And then you go in to look it up and it's just, holy shit, you know? <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I love on the eighth day again, million, to, a million to one is totally underrated song from that album. Uh, not not exactly a ballad, uh, but it's like the closest thing to to one on that album. But like I said earlier about Asylum, I like the fact that when you had, um, you know, you, you had Lick It Up, you had uh, uh, Animalize, and then you had Asylum. Like that there were, you know, these were all just like really fast-paced rocking albums and very technical albums. Vinnie Vincent, who there would be a falling out with Vinnie Vincent. Vinnie Vincent obviously brought a lot to the table with Lick It Up. I mean, you know, this is a guy who, I mean, he would go on to do Vinnie Vincent Invasion, which would end up becoming Slaughter because Mark Slaughter would be in that band and they would become the band Slaughter, which, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a fairly big fan of the, of the band Slaughter. Uh, the two Vinnie Vincent Invasion albums, which, by the way, I'm not going to get into any of the, like, the extraneous solo albums. I might mention them here and there, but there's, there, like, I, I'd be, I would be talking for four or five hours if I talked about, like, every album that every member of KISS ever did, you know, solo-wise outside of KISS and not just the 78 solo albums, like, beyond that, we'd be... The, 
we'd be here all night long. And I'm sure you wouldn't mind that, but <laughs> there are limitations to, to the file size that I can upload. So, um, but anyway, so look it up. Yeah, I mean, Vin- Vinnie Vincent would be a big part of it. And you can certainly hear when you listen to his solo albums, be it the two uh, uh, Vinnie Vincent Invasion albums that would come out years later, uh, you know, after um, after 83's Lick It Up from Kiss, you know, you can you can tell this, you can get the style, like the speed and just kind of like the, you know, just the, the really, really, you know, moving riffs, uh, just just good stuff. Um, and there would be a falling out, you know, maybe Vinnie Vincent thought that he was the main driver behind Kiss's resurgence and Gene and Paul didn't want to give him the credit or maybe Vinnie Vincent was a prima donna. You know, you don't hear anything from Vinnie Vincent anymore. So obviously kind of an odd guy. Uh, and I don't mean to insult him in any way, uh, but you know, what, however that ended up, you know, being lick it up is the only album that he was ever on. And you know, that's if in your life you can say, well, I wrote lick it up or, you know, I co-wrote it or whatever, like, you know, I think you can die happy <laughs> knowing that you came out with one of the greatest albums in history and really is. I mean, Lick It Up is, is widely considered just one of the best. I mean, it's, it's easily considered one of the greatest Kiss albums, regardless, again, if you like the makeup era or not. Um, and, and it's still respected to this day by, you know, the songs being played um, in the set still, you know, because, you know, now admittedly Kiss doesn't play a whole lot from their 80s set. They just don't. Uh, Lick It Up being one of the standouts. Uh, along with, you know, with the, uh, the the sequel album to Lick It Up, you know, which is Animalized, which has uh, Heavens on Fire on it. So, yeah, Lick It Up just, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a, a, a milestone album for Kiss because they got rid of the makeup. But also, like, it's just, it's a great album. There's, there's, there's a ton of great songs on there. Um, you know, at least, at least five, six great songs. You know, I mean, like I said, Million to One, nobody ever hears about that one. You got you to check that out. But, I mean, Exciter, uh, Not for the Innocent. Lick It Up, All Hell's Breaking Loose is a great song. Very underrated. I mean, it was a hit, but very underrated hit. Um, so a lot to love with with Lick It Up. Uh, and just, yeah, it's all there. And it's, it's such a, I mean, there's like some darker tracks, but it's always dark with kind of an, an air of cheese about it, which is what I love that Gene Simmons can deliver. It's, it's part of the reason Gene Simmons is like, you know, one of my heroes is because he can deliver that dark sexiness but still, like, it's still cheesy and, like, you know, it's still, like, fun, you know? Uh, so I, I, I really appreciate that from, uh, from him. So anyway, uh, let's get on with our, to our next album here uh, in the list. This would end up being, I guess this will, yeah, this is number five on the list. Which would be Crazy Nights, 1987's uh, Crazy Nights. Now, this album, okay, there's, there's lots of great songs on it. The album was, was an absolute success. This came after their 86, 19, their break that they took in 1986, which again was the first year in 11 years of the band's history that they did not release anything, at least not in America, at least nothing major, uh, at least not any like really new music or anything. Um, so, you know, that this was in some ways, this was kind of Kiss coming back, even though, you know, Asylum was, again, it was, you know, it was, it was pretty successful, Um so it's, it's not like they couldn't just ride off of Asylum and that somehow, you know, everybody forgot about them in a year or something like that. I mean, that, that obviously didn't happen. But to some degree, like I've always found, now granted, understand at the time, and this is actually important for Crazy Nights. At the time, I was, you know, like when Crazy Nights came out, I was six years old. Okay. Um, so I didn't understand, you know, I wasn't there to understand like, okay, what did it feel like for Kiss to take a year off? You know, I don't know. Um, I look at it, you know, back as, you know, when I got older, when I really got into Kiss, uh, when I was a teenager, you know, when I look backwards 
at it. Like, it just looks like an oddity. It's like, what the fuck? What's this 1986? You know, this is big red mark. So I don't, you know, I can't exactly say on that. And I mean, I've read a lot of books on Kiss, like their album retrospectives and everything, uh, which are very well done, that, you know, kind of describe what was going on for the band at the time. And to some degree, as I understand it, yeah, this was sort of a, like a, a, a relaunch uh, of Kiss in a, in a very real way. Um, the band at the time was the same as it was with Asylum, where it, you know, kind of what I consider to be, like I said, their strongest lineup, that being, uh, you know, Gene, uh, Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Bruce Kulick, and, um, you, you know, and Eric Carr. Uh, so Crazy Nights, I mean, as, you know, the super cheesy album. In fact, honestly, I think the album's cheesier than Asylum. <laughs> like like it really is and they bring in like synthesizers and everything so there's it's a it's kind of a unique album in that in that sense that they did start to bring in you know synthesizers and some other stuff they really took 80s cheese like almost to a whole new level not to where they left kind of the rock metal roots but it it can feel that way which is probably why i don't like it as much as i like asylum where asylum is still really a heavy rocker uh, of an album and still has some very hard riffs. Crazy Nights has pretty much no hard riffs whatsoever. You know, there's no, no, no crunch, no, you know, like, like nothing like that in it. So, but it's, I still love the fucking album. I mean, it's still a, a fantastic uh, Kiss album. You'll never really hear them play anything from it anymore, sadly, uh, which is a pity because like I mentioned with Lick It Up, where during All Hell's Breaking Loose, um, you know, you kind of have Paul sort of rapping to some degree in the title track for Crazy Nights. He does that as well. And here's the here's the interesting thing. So when I was six years old, I remember being in the back of my parents' station wagon and my cousins were were with me in it and they were huge Kiss fans. Of course, they were much older than I was. And they were like, you know, they were playing Crazy Nights. In fact, my one of my cousins actually had a jean jacket where he had the patch in the back, which was like the broken glass, the broken mirror cover of, uh, of Crazy Nights, the album cover for it. Really cool album cover, too. And, uh, you know, like he'd play Crazy Nights, and I was just like, and they'd all be singing it because it's kind of a rap. So, you know, like it's easy for anybody to say. You don't have to, you know, hit, you know, Paul's high notes like in, uh, you know, like in Heaven's on Fire or something, right? <laughs> so it's so good. Um and, and like at six, I, I could sing or, you know, or belt out anyway, the entire song of crazy nights, you know, and I loved it. So like, you know, my history with kiss started at a very young age. <laughs> I mean, like I was, I was already memorizing kiss songs at six years old. Now kiss wouldn't be my first love in the whole rock and metal scene that would go to, you know, Motley Crue and like the first uh, cassette that I audio cassette that I ever bought was in 89 when uh, Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood came out. Obviously, that was a very seminal album for me. Uh, but later on, I would, you know, after, I mean, you know, after dalliancing with so many 80s metal bands like, you know, Motley Crue and, and, and Whitesnake and the rest of them, I would, you know, as a teenager later, I would finally, you know, settle back down and be like, okay, Kiss is fucking awesome. They're the greatest band in history. You know, but yeah, I mean, I had that start off. And I mean, and I never forgot. I can still sing i mean obviously now because i listen to these albums all the time i can sing every word but um but like even up until you know you know there's like there's never been a point in my life other you know other than thinking back before i was six years old where i can't remember being able to to sing every every lyric to, or you know every every word to uh to crazy nights so really important album for me in, in that sense but i actually like a lot of what's on there crazy nights is a great song 
uh, in my opinion. I, you know, I really appreciate that. Uh, the, the big, sort of the big hits off of that, you had Crazy Nights, um, you had Turn on the Night, then you had the ballad Reason to Live, um, which is maybe Kiss's weakest ballad, but it's, it's still good. It's still great. I mean, understand, you know, Kiss, even their, their worst song, except for Paralyze, even their worst song is still better than what most other people can, can put out there, uh, you know, most other musicians and bands in my opinion. So, uh, reason to live. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's good. Like I, I listen to it, you know, I, I think it's a damn worthy track. Uh, there's other great stuff on there. Uh, bang, bang, you is a hilarious song. Uh, hell or high water is a good song. Um, like it's a turn on the night. I already mentioned that that's really good. There's actually, there's, and it's not a remake, um, or like a cover of Frank Sinatra's my way, but Paul does his own little song called My Way on there. I love that song. It's probably my favorite song off the album is, uh, is Paul Stanley's My Way. I listen to that all the time. I mean, tons of, tons of synth in it, you know, tons of synthesizers and everything. Uh, but I, I think it's really cool. Uh, just, just, a, just a fun song. So that's the one you probably, if you're wondering, like, what's a song on there that nobody ever talks about that's probably really good? It'd probably be, uh, be My Way. Uh, that, that I, I really enjoy that, but bang, bang, you so good. There, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, fun, fun songs on there. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that about covers crazy nights. So yeah, that's my number five. Uh, you know, certainly holds a, a sweet spot in my heart because of, you know, how seminal it was for me at six years old. But at the same time, there's just a lot to like there. It's a very unique Kiss album. It's probably the most unique Kiss album next to, say, The Elder, I think, is stylistically, because it's it is it's not a departure, but it's just so different from from anything else they've done. So I, I think Crazy Nights is really cool. Very underrated album. I mean, it was a big seller at the time, you know, because it's fucking Kiss. So who cares? <laughs> right. Uh, but um uh, yeah, you know, in posterity, it's not so not so well thought of, uh, unfortunately. I mean, it would show up on an album we're going to cover later, which smashes, thrashes, and hits. A lot of the songs on that would end up on there uh, because it was such a hit. Reason to Live was a huge was a huge hit, um, and Turn On the Night was a fairly big hit. The song Crazy Nights apparently wasn't as big a hit, but whatever. Anyway, uh, great stuff. So, all right, let's move on because I don't I really don't want this thing to go over two hours. <laughs> we're already an hour in. We're only on number five. Um, so number six, Creatures of the Night. That's oh! <laughs> kind of a little thing that goes with the song, Creatures of the Night. Um, another super underrated, probably like almost the least selling, it eventually became, became a gold album. Um, this came out in 1982. Paul, you know, originally on, on the album, they, it's, it's technically a makeup era album. Um, and it's the only one where really Eric Singer was still wearing makeup. And it's, it's also, you know, the album that was being toured for to where Vinnie Vincent would join the band. Cause Ace Frehley, even though he's on the cover with his makeup on, he really wasn't a part of the album, uh, that Vinnie Vincent would be in, in makeup as well. Uh, so creatures of the night. Yeah. A weird album because it's a transitional period, right? Like MTV suddenly became a thing. And of course she had the music video, which is very well known. Uh, and the song that is fairly popular, which is, I love it loud. I, I think it's a great song too. Um, and that, you know, that would be big on MTV, uh, or would get some play on MTV and everything. Uh, just a re- really, really great, simple, you know, kind of, kind of rock song. Um, 
yeah, I love it loud's really good. Uh, but anyway, it's a tra- it was a transitional you know time because they were getting rid of Ace, which was you know Ace was was such a big deal for the band, I think, or I know. Uh, and you know they're bringing in other people, and then they decided to go you know all right, let's just take the makeup off if we don't have everybody here anyway. Um, and which was a smart move. So eventually Creatures of the Night would get re-released kind of as a non-makeup album. And I actually consider it a non-makeup album because of it. In fact, when I ever, whatever music software or whatever I happen to put it into, um, there, there was an album, a version of it, I think that came out in 85. That was the re-release where the cover art is non-makeup and it actually has Bruce Kulick and Eric Carr on the cover instead of Ace being on it, you know, with, with his makeup on. And I, I really like to think of the album that way. I don't like to think of it as an Ace Frehley album. I don't like to think of it as a makeup album. Uh, because, it, I mean, really the attitude for the album is so clearly 80s. It so falls in line with what they did during the non-makeup era. Uh, there's no reason for it not to. Now, this album has, I mean, so many great songs on it. Like, it's ridiculous just how really track for track uh, this album is. I mean, opens up with Creatures of the Night, which when you listen to that on a live three, I mean, that is such a great opener. Uh, you know, for an album to have, especially a live show, or then if, you know, you're doing a live three and you're doing a live show, uh, it's fantastic for that. Um, it has, I love it loud, of course, which is great. Uh, it has, uh, I still love you, which is a ballad, fantastic ballad. Um, there's some really underrated tracks on there. Rock and roll hell, very underrated track. Fantastic though. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot, uh, danger. I think danger is a very fun song. Uh, for Paul Stanley to do danger, danger. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to sing anymore for you. Uh, that, but that, that's, that's like a, just a really fast uh, riffing song and a song that actually, if you watch um, like, particularly, I think it was the animalized tour. They, a song that they would do live that for some reason was never like a huge hit. But it, it sounds so good live. I don't know why they never mess with it more. Uh, there's a song called War Machine on there, and it is heavy. Like It's, it's a Gene Simmons-fronted song. It is so heavy. It is awesome. Easily the best track on that album. Uh, so, so good. And so, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a really, again, it's a very underrated album, Creatures of the Night. It, it, it kind of flew by night <laughs> or flew under the dark, the cover of night, it seemed, uh, because nobody really latched onto it uh, until really, I think, until they re-released it. I mean, a lot of people enjoyed the song I Love It Loud. I don't think it took off as well as perhaps they were hoping. In fact, I know at the time the tour for uh, for Creatures of the Night was kind of a week, like they, they weren't selling out. It was sort of a week tour, even though they, they pushed really hard. And obviously with a song like War Machine, like they brought a tank on stage and everything. I mean, I, I guess it was really nuts. Um, so a pity, but yeah, I, I think that's just a tremendous fucking album. So, you know, number six spot definitely could easily sit in the top five. Uh, a lot of people, you know, again, makeup or no makeup really respect uh, that album because it, it is so damn good. Uh, so yeah, Creatures of the Night, fantastic. And just listen to the song War Machine. You'll you'll get what I'm talking about. And Rock and Roll Hell is another great one too. Gene really, Gene really shined on that as to where after that album, Paul would definitely be the person, you know, to shine from there on. Um, all right, let's go on to, uh, I guess this would be number seven. And that is 1989's Hot in the Shade. Woo. Now this album, this is a good album. This is fun. They, they, they dropped Pretty much all, I think they dropped all the synthesizers in this, uh, you know, from, from 87's or uh, 88's, yeah, 87's Crazy Nights. Um, 
They did have a release in 88, but we'll, we'll get to that. So Hot in the Shade in 89, this was, this was not like... So there's a ballad on there that ended up becoming huge. And that, that song is uh, Forever, which I think that might have also cut them a num- number one, kind of like Beth. So obviously Kiss is really good at ballads. I don't mind when they don't do them, but Forever is a good song. I, I, I understand. I, I get it. Uh, but this is, this, is a very, this is an interesting album because they lightened up a bit on style, but they're definitely not doing like that 80s flash. It almost sounds like a Tesla album afterward in a way like it's 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 very very different and there's some more paul doing his little bit of rapping uh, my favorite song on the album is read my body never a hit but i i think it's it, it's such a cheesy sexy song and and paul kind of does his little more of his rapping kind of like with all hell's breaking loose um and crazy nights and some others uh and i i, I think it works out really really well for it um, there's the song Hide Your Heart, which was kind of a hit, which also got covered by, and I, I still don't know the, the total story around this because Ace Fraley would also do a version of, um, of Hide Your Heart on one of his albums. Uh, this is again, that strong version of the band where it's Eric Carr, Bruce Kulick, Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, uh, a unique thing happens with this album. So the first track on it is Rise to It and a music video was made for Rise to It. Again, this album wasn't the, like the biggest hit, but it was pretty wild. And the, the, if you can catch uh, a live footage from the concerts from this album, like there's a huge Sphinx on the stage, which is of course on the cover of the album too. Uh, that that's really cool. I mean, it's, it's a wild fucking album. Uh, of course they were doing very well after crazy nights was, was, you know, quite the, the album crazy nights was a pretty good hit, a pretty good seller. So the song rise to it, a great song, like very sexy. You know, I, I, I enjoy the hell out of it. Um, the song Rise to It, the music video for it opens up with like a flashback to Gene and Paul putting the makeup back on or, or, you know, with them in the makeup room, getting the makeup on. And then at the end of the, of the music video for Rise to It, they walk out of there with the makeup on. Now, a lot of people thought that that meant Kiss was going to come back with the makeup. Um, as to why that didn't happen then, you know, a lot of conversations, a lot of different stories as to what happened there is because Eric Carr died, you know, a year or two after this that they said, okay, no, we're not going to go back with the makeup because Eric Carr would have been kind of the more, the legitimate person to be wearing the makeup. Uh, and I, and I can agree with that, even though now Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer are wearing the makeup in place of Ace and Peter, uh, you know, whatever, but I, like, maybe that was what was going on. They just weren't ready to, to kind of hang it up yet or what, or maybe the success of God gave rock and roll to you too on, um, you know, on Bill and Ted's bogus journey, you know, kind of changed their mind. Maybe it's kind of the grunge era that made them change their mind, which when the grunge era came in in 93, you know, you can read interviews where, where Gene says like, he loves what smashing pumpkins is doing. You know, he's, he loves all this shit. Uh, and, and they were going to try and go that direction. In fact, they did. We'll talk about that album later. Uh, but, um, yeah, that, that was kind of a weird thing. And that definitely got a lot of people talking. And was it just a marketing gimmick to sell Hot in the Shade? Maybe. And maybe it worked, you know. But I think it's a great album. Forever was a huge hit. Uh, you know, not not my favorite track off the album. But Read My Body is really good. Uh, even some of the weaker, or, you know, some of the, what one might consider to be filler stuff from Gene Simmons, like Cadillac Dreams uh, and some of this other stuff. I, I think they're all good. I Like, I, I, I dig all the, you know, Silver Spoon's a good song. Um like I said, Read My Body is probably my favorite off the whole damn thing. Uh, 
Love's Like a Slap in the Face. I think that's a great song. Uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot. It's a long album, and there's, but I think there's a lot of great cuts on it. Uh, and Rise to It, of course, is an awesome song. Uh, you know, and Hide Your Heart, like I mentioned, that was really good, too. Uh, so, yeah, Hot in the Shade, I got to put that there. And, and particularly for Rise to It and Read My Body are just two of the, uh, you know, most sex-dripping songs that Kiss has ever done uh, that I, and, and kind of fun. Like, they're fun songs, which is nice, too. So, uh, okay, let's go to uh, number eight which is Animalize, 1984's Animalize. And I got a funny story to tell about this one. Uh, but first off, let, let, let's talk a little bit about the album. Uh, best known, obviously, for uh, the, the classic track that still gets played by them today, even though they're wearing the makeup, which is Heaven's on Fire. And totally understandable. It's a great song. I mean, it's a great fucking song. Uh, Mark St. John was on with this, this is, and of course he would end up with a condition. He's, he's actually, I think he passed away. Um, he, he would, he, he ended up doing like white tiger, not white lion, but white tiger. Um, but yeah, Mark St. John was, was fine. He was actually like a music teacher. I mean, he was, it was amazing that he became a member of kiss. Didn't really have the look. There was nothing wrong with him, but I, I don't wish anything bad on anybody, but I'm glad Bruce Kulik ended up coming into the band afterwards. Uh, so, cause Bruce brought, just brought a lot of style, a lot of technicality that, that Mark St. John I'm sure could have had, but it just wasn't really on display much for it. So anyway, Animalize, uh, Animalize has some other, it, it, like the one song, obviously Heaven's on Fire is so good. Like it makes up, it, it, you know, it justifies the entire album's existence, right? Um, but what, boy, what, you know, I mean, like the, a lot of the other songs on it are sort of, I don't know. They're, they're good. Like they're good, but they're not totally memorable. Like the memorable ones are the ones that are kind of ridiculous. Like burn bitch burn. That's actually a song. <laughs> I want to put my log in your fireplace. That's, <laughs> that's, it's pretty wild. I mean, there, there's, you know, uh, um, lonely is the hunter. That's a fun song. I like that on there. You know, there's good stuff. It has that 80 style. So it still ranks really high with me. And of course, you know, heaven's on fire is just such a great fucking song you know it, it's it's tough for it not to not to really carry it uh thief in, or, or thr- thrills in the night thief in the night is off of crazy nights I, I sometimes i get those two songs confused but uh thrills in the night is a very is a very good song i actually really like that uh so you know there's there's you know three four songs that i really love on it so so i give it high marks uh the music video you know again i've talked about the music videos here and there the music video for Heaven's on Fire is incredible uh, because it's all about like this, you know, hotel room fucking party. I mean, obviously a massive hotel room and there's like a scene in it. Now there's, there's censored and uncensored versions of this music video. The uncensored ones you can watch when you watch the, the, the DVD I mentioned before or the home video release I mentioned before, which is Kiss Exposed, um, which is kind of a, it's not like a, you know, it's a quasi documentary. <laughs> it's not a mockumentary, but it's kind of a quasi documentary of the band. Um, but the music video for it, there's a scene that I just like is so memorable that I love. Well, first off, I enjoy like there's the fun scenes where Eric Carr is kind of under the table with a gal. Uh, I mean, there's just women everywhere, obviously. And and everybody's, you know, taking clothes off and whatever. But there's a scene where Gene is between two women. And of course, Gene Simmons is well known for his tongue, a tongue which actually I, I also have an incredibly long tongue. Uh, <laughs> I didn't do anything to model myself after Gene. I just happened to, you know, have the... <laughs> have the honor of that. Uh, I've taken pictures of it before. And like, I've had sovereign tech, you know, listeners say, holy shit, you really do have a crazy tongue. <laughs> but, anyway, uh, <laughs> um, but there's a scene where, and I tried to, I've tried to emulate this many a time where jeans between two women. Right. And 
he like I, I swear to fucking God, his face is so far away from this one gal, but his tongue reaches out and like almost touches her nose. <laughs> it's it's such an awesome little moment in the music video for Heavens on Fire. I love it. Uh, so yeah, Animalize is a great album. Now here's the funny story. That wasn't the funny story. Here's the funny story. This kind of like speaks to the the Mandela effect. I fucking like I swear that I remember as a kid. Okay, or maybe, maybe like, I don't know, maybe 14, 15, something like that. Going into Camelot Music in the mall. If you're from the Northeast, you might know Camelot Music. Going into Camelot Music in the mall. It was, it was a music chain. So I, I think it was even beyond the Northeast of the U.S. But I remember going into the mall, and I remember seeing an album called Animalized 2. And on the cover of Animalized 2, it was like all white. As to where the cover for Animalized is just like some animal print scratches and everything. But the cover for Animalize 2 had uh, had all of, I, I, I imagine I was seeing Mark St. John on it, but it definitely had Gene, Paul, and, and Eric, you know, and Eric Carr. And, and they were all wearing like these long white leather jackets. And the whole album was kind of white. And on the cover, it kind of looked like the cover to, uh, to Double Platinum, where, you know, it was Kiss on the bottom, Kiss on top. And then you had the letters of the, or, you know, red lettering of the album in the middle. But instead, this was all white with like some raised lettering. Like I said, just kind of like double platinum. Um, and it was called Animalized too. I couldn't tell you what any of the songs were off of it. But like, I, I remember, I feel like I remember that so vividly. But obviously that never happened. That was never like a thing. But I, I always thought that'd be cool. Like if there was an Animalized too, like that, that'd be funny. So again, no woo-woo here. Obviously it was probably just like a dream I had or something and my head was just fucking with me. But just an odd, just an odd little thing that I always, I tell people about all the time. It's like, you know, it's so weird. I remember that there was like this, there was an album called Animalize 2. And I even remember what the album looked like and everything. Uh, even though I wish, like, I just, I don't remember if, you know, I know there was a track listing on the back because they had the four members standing in those white leather jackets on the back. Uh, but yeah, I don't remember any of that. So anyway, just, just a funny thing, just odd, whatever. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so there was that number eight was that animalized. So number nine, um, I mentioned how kiss would be very interested in kind of the grunge movement and how they would get into grunge. Um, and you can read more about how this album was created. And in fact, like, like I said, Gene comes right out and says, Hey, you know, I love what the smashing pumpkins are doing all this stuff. I think this is great. And actually with this album, like in the beginning of it, you hear some backmasking lyrics, kind of where it's, you know, it's, it's run backwards. And it's actually mentioning Billy Corgan of, you know, smash, you know, lead of Smashing Pumpkins. Um, so, but the album is Carnival of Souls, which came out in 97, um, which is after the announcement, the, you know, the big announcement that that there was going to be the big reunion tour with, the, you know, Ace and Peter and everything. Uh and this is after, you know, the whole Kiss MTV Unplugged event happened where they did actually come back for a bit. Uh, this is, you know, this this is this album was going to be the sequel to Revenge. You know, it's going to be Bruce Kulick uh, who would actually get the chance to sing on this album um, and uh, Eric Singer and, you know, Paul and Gene. Uh, there's this is a dark and heavy album, definitely the heaviest album that that Kiss would ever release. And I think it's not unfair to say it's the darkest, maybe only matched by Creatures of the Night because Creatures of the Night was, you know, was a very dark album. Not there wasn't anything like terribly necessarily fun or or sexy on it. Right. Uh, As to where Revenge could be considered dark, but it had a lot of fun and a lot of sex in it. Um, No real sex in this one and no fun. 
<laughs> like none. Uh, but there's good songs on here. Um, in fact, some of them would, would only get released later on the 2001 box set. But you had, uh, you know, you had Jungle, which was a good song. Um, Hate was, was a good song. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's two, th- you know, the whole album. I mean, it's so different for Kiss to do, and it's so intense. Um, I, I really like it. Then there's, of course, uh, there's this song, uh, Childhood's End, which was the only thing that was remotely like a hit off of it. Um, but yeah, good stuff. You know, th- three, four, five songs on there that I think are really good, especially Jungle. And, and I, I really dig, I dig hate. Um, and, and Childhood's End is, is good. Uh, yeah, just, just, just very different, but I, I rank it really high because I, I think it is such a unique outing um, for them that that yeah it, it holds a special place. So so I I really I I dig it. Um, was that was that number nine or ten? Let's see. Okay, we got one. We got Asylum, Revenge, Alive Three, Lick It Up at number four, Crazy Nights number five, Creatures of the Night number six, Hot in the Shade number seven, Analyze number eight, Carnival of Souls. Uh, number nine. So number 10. Okay. This is pretty good. This is a good listing for number 10. Uh, number 10 would actually be the first greatest hits album. That's going to take on this list, which is uh, smashes, thrashes, and hits. Um, an awesome, awesome greatest hits album uh, has its own, you know, ha- has two new songs on it. That being let's put the X in sex and you make me rock hard, both pure cheese, very sexy, just coming off of crazy nights. Um, and there's still some of the synthesizer kind of involved, especially with uh, "Let's Put the X in Sex." Uh, but two, those two songs, "Rock Hard" and "Let's Put the X in Sex," two of the greatest Kiss songs of all time. So it has to sit on here. Uh, also, the other thing I like about it is that they play a lot of Kiss classics, you know, in it, like even a, you know a couple songs from the '70s and whatever. And, but it's being done with uh, you know with Eric Carr and Bruce Kulick. So you get a very good technical playing of some of these songs. Um, in fact, it also has uh, one of those other, you know, rare Eric Carr cuts where it has uh, Eric Carr um, uh, performing Beth on it. And Eric Carr is a, tr- is a great singer, you know. I mean, and you can see that too because like Eric Carr also did, he had his solo stuff for like Rockology and all that that were really good, um, even though they're, they're kind of more demos now than anything else. But uh, yeah, it's worth it for that. The version of Love Gun, of the song Love Gun on there, is awesome. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the 80s greatest hits album, you know, with, with studio tracks. But it, it is, it, it's a just, it's such, it's a great compilation. And the song, let's put, you know, for, for Eric Carr's version of Beth and for the, you know, the 80s band, you know, for that, for the, that, that great lineup performing Love Gun and let's put the X in sex and you make me rock hard, just it's an awesome collection of songs uh, that's that's really really worth your time. So I put that at, I put that at number ten easy. Uh, there's there's a you know a, a lot to love on it. You know all the tracks on it are just are top notch. You get tears are falling. There's a lot of eighty songs um, that that were missing off of it uh, that you know you, you, makes you want to go back to the catalog. But it's a great introduction to Kiss at that time. And it has songs on there that are just absolutely required, uh, you know, Kiss listening, uh, in my opinion. So a uh, great little album there. So, all right, we're, uh, we're out of the top 10. So now we should be able to blaze through these pretty good. Um, starting out of the top 10, this will actually be the first album from the 70s era. Of course, one, what one would argue the most popular era uh, of Kiss. 
And this this album, this is the one that I think of all the albums, except for maybe Destroyer. And of course, this is, you know, in, in many ways, the sequel to Destroyer. Um, this is the album that you listen to it today and it still sounds really good. Like it still it still holds up like, yeah, that that could have come out yesterday. You know, <laughs> something like that, especially when you remaster it a bit. Um, and this album has had. Uh, boy, would it have like a 30th anniversary, like two disc re-release and remastering and everything? Not like Destroyer, where Destroyer actually got like a reimagining, you know, more so than just a remastering on its, uh, what was it, like its 40th anniversary or whatever. Um, this this one was, was a little bit different, and I kind of hope they never do what they did with Destroyer for this, because again, it's just, a, it's an album that sounds so good. That being 1977's Love Gun. Now the song itself, Love Gun, is, I mean, that is such a great rocker. Like that is kind of, so it's really where I think Kiss started to get into where it's, you know, Kiss would play a little bit faster, which would become uh, a hallmark in the eighties. I think where they'd have a little more speed to everything that they're doing um, instead of just like the, you know, the pure simplicity perhaps of their music of the seventies. So, and Love Gun, that was the other thing too, is Love Gun had a kind of some good complex riffs to it. I mean, just a very unique Kiss album. Uh, like I said, and it does really hold up very well. In fact, for a lot, you know, there aren't many of us, but for the fans that, you know, a lot of fans that I've talked to that actually enjoy the non-makeup uh, or the no-makeup era of Kiss, Love Gun, the song alone is usually the song that they actually love from the 70s because it sounds similar. Like it, it has that feel. So you kind of got the hint of what was to come of Kiss, you know, when you listen to Love Gun. So not surprising, I guess, for me that it's, you know, my, what adds up to being, I mean, it's number 11 on this list, but it adds up being my top album, um, you know, for, for that era, for the makeup era of, or the original makeup era of Kiss. Um, I think that, uh, boy, I mean, there's some fun tracks in that. Christine 16 uh, is, is a great song. <laughs> I mean, and then the, the last track on it, Then She Kissed Me, you know, which is, of course, is a kind of a remake of Then He Kissed Me, you know, kind of the classic song from the what was it, from the 50s or whatever. But Paul Stanley doing Then She Kissed Me, I love that fucking track. One of my favorite Kiss songs of all time. So much fun. Uh, and I, in fact, I remember the first time the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy kissed me. You better believe that song was running through my head and I was playing it all the way home, baby. <laughs> that, was, that was so fun. So, just, just so cool. Um, so yeah, 1977's Love Gun. I mean, just a ton of great songs on there. Uh, but of course, is, is Doctor Lo- or no Doctor Loves on Rock and Roll Over or whatever. A- anyway, Love Gun, lots of fun. Just just a great great album. Easily could easily sit in the number t- you know in the top ten for me. But it's it's at number eleven. I, I really enjoy it. Um, the next one is actually the next album on the list is 1998. You know, let's forward almost tw- over twenty years. Uh, is 1998 Psycho Circus which was the album when, you know, kind of when they came back with the makeup. This was the reunion album in many ways, uh, or, you know, studio album anyway. It wasn't the reunion live album that would that honor would go to uh, Kiss, uh, Kiss MTV Unplugged or Kiss Unplugged. Um, Psycho Circus is an awesome album. It was a great comeback album. You know, I mean, not that I, for me, they never had had to come back. But I think for a lot of people, you know, I mean, it doesn't sound now. A lot of people were very critical in 98 when this came out because they said, well, it doesn't sound like the 70s. Well, 
it's not the 70s anymore. <laughs> you know, like like Kiss wasn't going to sound like that. And I mean, I love it too when new albums come out. Like say when Stan Bush comes out with a new album and it sounds like 1986 all over again. Believe me, I love it when that happens. Okay, but you know, most of the time that's not going to happen. I mean, Ace had changed. Peter had changed. Paul and Gene had been, you know, they'd still been doing Kiss. They still had a lot of sounds. I mean, they were coming off of doing Carnival of Souls, which was kind of a, you know, a darker album and everything. Uh, so, yeah, Psycho Circus doesn't sound like the 70s. But what it does sound like, I think it sounds fucking great. And, like, it's almost track for track. Uh, the only, re- I mean, it's not a weak track, but probably my least favorite on there would would probably be um, Into the Void, you know, Ace Fraley's song on there. And that's not a knock on Ace Fraley because if you get like the tour, one of the tour editions or one of the fan editions, uh, which there's like a four disc fan edition of this album that's so good. um, You know, there's a, what was it, In Your Face by Ace? I love that song. Uh, Just about any other edition other than the American edition that you get of Psycho Circus has Ace Fraley's In Your Face on it. And I think it's a great song. So it's not like I hate Ace's songs uh, (laughs) by 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 no means. I mean, off of uh, Love Gun, what did you have? Shock Me? I I think that song's badass. Uh, So, you know, I don't have I really don't have a problem with Ace. Um, But Psycho Circus, Raise Your Glasses, We Are One, Within. Within's probably my favorite song off there, which is a a Gene Simmons led song. The actual title track, Psycho Circus, which is now a hit. Like that's a song now that makes a regular that makes it regularly on set lists because, you know, everybody really started to to get into that song. Um, You know, there's there's tons uh, of Pledge Allegiance to the State of Rock and Roll, uh, Journey, Dreamin'. Dreamin's an awesome song off of there. That's kind of like a darker song from Paul on that album. Uh, There's a there's a ton of great songs on this album. You know, it's it's really, really good. Um, I keep forgetting if I. I finally found my way to you. I don't think that was on there. I think that song was actually on the soundtrack for Detroit Rock City, which also came out, which is which was a movie that I loved. I actually enjoyed the movie Detroit Rock City by Kiss, which is about like, you know, four Kiss fans and doing their thing. I mean, lots of fun. Um, but I finally found my way to you. Or no, maybe I finally found my way to you is on Psycho Circus. Uh, anyway, that's a Peter Chris ballad. Yeah, it is what it is. You know, for Peter Chris, it's, it's cool. Um so yeah, Psycho Circus, number 12, easy. I mean, it, it's a good song. It's a good album. I listen to it all the time. The four disc fan edition. I love that. I, I listen to that nonstop. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of good heavy rockers within is really good. We are one very cheesy song, but I enjoy the hell out of it. Raise your glasses. Uh, you wanted the best great song. I mean, like all, I mean, they're all kind of anthems celebrating kiss, but that's okay. When you're a Kiss fan, that's fine. You know, <laughs> like, like it, it works. You, you almost, you want that. Uh, so, but, but probably best track off of there is Within I th- by with Gene Simmons. It's a good, heavy, uh, very heavy song, actually. Uh, not, not as dark necessarily as Carnival of Souls, but very heavy. And I, I, I really like it. Um, so yeah, Psycho Circus, number 12. Destroyer, number 13. This is obvious. I mean, it's the album that, other than Alive, that one could say made Kiss what they are. You know, Spirit of 76, the whole thing, right? Uh, lots of great songs on here. Even the cheesy, even the funny, like cheesy ones, Great Expectations. Detroit Rock Cities is obviously great. Um, I mean, the, you know, shout out loud. There's so, there's so many fucking awesome songs on, on Destroyer. Uh, they recently did like, again, it wasn't a remastered. It was like a reimagining of it, um, a couple of years ago. And, uh, I don't know. It, it didn't really do, do anything for me. 
but I mean, King of the Nighttime World. I mean, there's there's so many goddamn good songs on on Destroyer. And Detroit Rock City is an anthem for a reason. I mean, it's just got that awesome, you know, I mean, you know, you're just ready to go once you start hearing that. Uh, so love Destroyer, number 13. Number 14, Dynasty. Um, like I said, good album. Uh, obviously, you know, I Was Made for Loving You is the best track on there. But uh, very divisive album because it's so disco, you know, not a lot of people dug it, but um, I thought it was good. Now, number 15, going into that, now we're going to break into the 78 solo albums, which this is, I'll rank them. Um, it really doesn't hurt if they were all one album <laughs> in, in a way. In fact, it might, might have done them uh, some, some service. But uh, these, are, these are unique because a lot of bands, like, you know, the Rolling Stones, you know, Mick Jagger would go off and kind of do his own albums and everything. But they'd really be completely separate events. As to where these four solo albums, each member of KISS, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Paul Stanley, and Gene Simmons did their own album. Um, with their own little band, even, you know, it's not like everybody was playing for each other's, you know, solo album, but they were planned. Like they were set up as a kiss release. So they're really kiss albums, even though they're technically solo albums and they're not exactly kiss just because not everybody was playing for everybody's other, you know, everybody else, other person's albums. Right. Um, the most popular is Ace Fraley's. That is not my favorite one. So you know, number 15 here, I'm going to put Paul Stanley's, uh, th- that opener on Paul Stanley's kiss album tonight. You belong to me. Amazing. Now, Paul Stanley's was also the one that sounds the most like kiss, not, not shocking considering that, that Paul Stanley, you know, especially getting in at this time was starting to become kind of like we mentioned with the eighties where he started to become the main creative force behind kiss. Uh, so it's not too shocking like that, that, that things that he would sound the most like kiss in it. Uh, but yeah, Paul Stanley, I mean, right from that opener, Tonight You Belong to Me is, is such a great song. Uh, not really a ballad, but just like an epic kind of strangely sexy song. I don't know. It, it, it's really good. Um, after that, number 16, I would put Gene Simmons, uh, the, the 1978 album, you know, solo album, which, you know, opens up with Radioactive, which is a very fun song. I mean, there's, there's a lot of cool songs on that. Then uh, number 17, then I rank, I put Ace Fraley. So Ace, so as far as out of the solo albums, Aces would be number three on my list. Obviously, Peter Chris would be number four. Peter Chris is not the next album in this list. <laughs> but uh, but Aces, you know, when he did that cover back in the uh, New York Groove, fucking awesome. Rip it up. I mean, like, there there's so many good songs on Aces. Uh, he did a great job. I mean, there's a reason he he had a mild success as a solo artist because you know he has that talent. He just has that wacky ass talent, um, and you get that you get a lot of that flavor on and and it was like out of the solo albums, it was the one that just sold gangbusters because people couldn't believe, wow, this is this is amazing. Um, and I get it. I, I really like it. I just like Paul and Gene styling a lot more, so they don't rank as high, or so Aces doesn't rank as high for me. But I totally understand that it's an awesome album. You know, like I have, I have no problem admitting that whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, coming in at number 17, uh, Ace Fraley. And again, you know, New York Groove, fucking awesome song. <laughs> you know, me being a little Jewish boy from New York, how could I not dig that either? Uh, but anyway, um, coming in at number 18, we have uh, Kiss Unplugged, which is, you know, it's a live album. Um, it was, you know, recording from the MTV event that happened uh, in 1996, which precipitated the reunion of, you know, the original four band members of KISS, Peter Chris, Ace Frehley, you know, uh, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. And, the, you know, this is, it's a, it's a fun, it's totally acoustic, 
but it's a fun album. And there's a couple tracks where you actually have, you know, Eric Singer and, uh, and Bruce Kulick are playing on it as well. So you get like a six person kiss band and, and that's amazing. You know, of course, Eric, Eric Carr had died by this point, um, uh, long, you know, long before. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it was, in fact, honestly, without Eric Carr dying, I don't, I wonder how long it would have been before the reunion happened. Uh, so, you know, th- this is an outcropping of that. Uh, but you know, it, it opens up with, with, you know, coming home again. I mean, like plaster caster, all those songs, amazingly, a lot of the simpler seventies, um, kiss songs that were the highlight of this, of kiss unplugged. You know, they're such simple songs that when you take them to acoustic, it works really well. So it, it was a perfect opportunity to start up the reunion, you know, with Ace and Peter and everything. Not that I even, you know, myself, I didn't even want the reunion to happen. I mean, I'm glad Psycho Circus is an album that exists and it's out there. I didn't really care. Like, no, keep me with Eric Singer and, and Bruce Kulick. Like, because you guys are doing awesome stuff. You're doing Carnival of Souls. You're doing Revenge. Your 80s music's fucking amazing. I mean, like, you're, you're, you know, you're reaching new heights with Kiss here. Uh, and, and then they just, they, they totally go backwards. But, admittedly, it's a great sounding album. It's a lot of fun. It's very enjoyable. So, Kiss Unplugged uh, sits at number 18. Then, uh, then we'll round, uh, let's see, 19, Kiss Symphony, Alive 4. This was really cool. Um, in fact, there's a double DVD set of this. Um, now, Kiss Symphony wasn't supposed to be alive for. There was actually uh, a recording done, I think, in 1999 that was part of the, what was, well, what ended up getting named the Millennium Tour. Maybe it was supposed to be something else. Might have was supposed to be a farewell tour but <laughs> after the reunion in 96. But um, uh, this ended up being alive for, and Peter Chris would be playing on it, did a hell of a job. Uh, and Tommy Thayer would be taking the the ropes. They did not bring back Bruce Kulick, but Tommy Thayer would be, you know, uh, uh, pulling strings for for Ace Frehley instead. You know, Ace Frehley wouldn't be there. Uh, I I enjoyed. This is a double disc album. Very very good. Uh, in fact, there's there's a single disc version which actually has a studio cover of um, is it the Ramones Rock and Roll Radio. That's an awesome little Kiss tune. Lots of fun, uh, even though it's a cover song. But, um, but the two-disc version, really good. Uh, in fact, the song that really benefits, because it was, you know, they had the, the was the Melbourne S- Symphony uh, Orchestra. They did this in Australia. Um, the, when they did, so the first, like, the first disc is a lot of acoustic. And, like, they don't bring in the, the full symphony until later in the show, in, which ends up being the second disc. On the second disc, like when they do Black Diamond, which is probably my favorite song off of the original Kiss, off the you know self-titled Kiss album, um, when they do that, like when the symphony cr- crashes in, that is so awesome. Like that is, I mean, that is so, so good. Um, so yeah, wow. <laughs> which by the way, Black Diamond is also a great uh, bonus track by Yoshiki on, uh, on Kiss My Ass. Kiss My Ass is not on this list. Kiss My Ass is a... Uh, um, was like a, a, an official Kiss released cover album by other people like Garth Brooks and a whole bunch of other people to do Kiss songs. Uh, and Black Diamond on there is done symphonically by, you know, by Yoshiki. Uh, and that is, that is a great track and was a prelude really to hearing just how good Black Diamond sounds with a full symphony behind it. And of course, Peter Chris there, you know, you know, belting out the lyrics and, you know, Paul doing the thing and everything. Um, so that, that's a lot of fun. Uh, Shandy, 
is also from Unmasked, which that album will be very low on this list. <laughs> Uh, but that sounded really good in the acoustic style on there. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to like with, with the live four. I, I thought the, the kiss symphony thing was a great trick. Uh, very cool. Obviously a lot of bands have done it. Uh, kiss was not breaking any new ground with it. Like they did with you know, live one. Uh, but it works like it's cool to hear. And, and I, I don't know that I care for every version of the song. Like there's some, like, you know, when you take something like Metallica's S&M, right, which is there where they worked with Michael Kamen um, and they, you know, they did a symphonic thing. Like most of the songs on that, I actually like the symphonic versions better than I like the album cuts from Metallica, uh, like uh, of Wolf and Man and things like this. Uh, I can't really think of, other than maybe Black Diamond, I can't think of a song on there where I'm like, yeah, I think the symphony really added something. You know, I, I don't say it. Like I get it. Some of it's cool. King of the Nighttime World, a lot of that other stuff was, was a lot of fun. But some of the songs maybe that they could have done that would have been awesome with symphony. They didn't do, you know, so whatever. Uh, but, but it's still a, a great album. Definitely, you know, belonging in the, in the top 20. Um, and definitely my favorite alive album aside from, from alive three. Uh, so number 20 rounding it out. Here's actually another greatest hits album that didn't get a wide release and three, there's four new songs on it. Three of the new songs on it were put onto uh, were put on the box set into the Kiss box set in two thousand one, but you know it's a shame because I like the one I think that they didn't include on there was was such a good song that like I, I have to you know I have to count Killers otherwise I'd write off Killers if if all four of those songs were on the box set but for some reason they left one of them fucking off. Uh, but the song that I, I think is really good off of Killers is uh, I'm a Legend Tonight. And that's the song that didn't make it onto the 2001 box set, which just blows my mind. Because it's a really like sexy, you know, uh, kind of a deep song. I mean, simple, but, you know, I, I really, really dig it. Uh, I'm a Legend Tonight. You know, it's all like one of the lyrics is I know I got to make it till 5 a.m., Meaning that, you know, Paul's going to be stooping until 5 a.m. like all night long. I, it, it's so good. Uh, but the other three tracks that were uh, unique to it were Down on Your Knees, Nowhere to Run, and Partners in Crime. Partners in Crime being the weakest of the four new songs on it. Uh, but those all, I believe, if I remember correctly, were all on the box set. Uh, but I'm a legend tonight. Like, that's so good. Why not include that? Whatever. <laughs> uh Oh yeah, he's in fact that yeah. So funny lyric with uh, I'm a legend tonight. So it says like he it says believing in five o'clock, meaning that he's going to make it to five o'clock. But if you look in the lyric, I think if you look in the booklet, if I remember right, and I and I think actually if you go to like any lyrics site on the internet for that song, it says believing in Bible crop. And it's like what the fuck? <laughs> what are you talking about? Believing in Bible crop? It, weird, weird ass shit. Uh, so <laughs> I I don't get it. I, I don't understand at all what what, what they're what they're going there. But uh, but killers. Those four tracks are great. Four tracks. Par- um, Partners in crime is kind of kind of weak. But nowhere to run is is really good. Um, and down on your knees is also a, a like a, a really fun song too. Um, so now getting into number twenty one. Uh, this would be two thousand nine's Sonic Boom. Uh, which had, uh, this is, this is a fun, this is a cool album. I mean, and kind of coming back, uh, of course the lineup now, you know, this is kind of the third or fourth lineup, depending on how you want to count them, um, where it's, uh, Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer. And of course they're all wearing the makeup. Um, 
Sonic Boom had had some, you know, like it was it was unique in that I think it was originally it was only being sold at like Walmart. Like that was literally the only place you could buy uh, this album uh, back in 2009. Uh, but it went gold. I mean, that's that's something like this is, you know, this is kind of a return of of Kiss uh, in, in a very real sense. And depending, you know, in the Walmart version, when you bought it, you'd ended up, you got a, a DVD of a Buenos Aires uh, live show from, uh, from 2009. And then also you got a bonus disc, which was actually the release of Kiss Classics. And it's Classics with a K, where they redid a bunch of songs, um, you know, with the modern band, which I think is a cool release. Like that alone gives the album a lot of credit, uh, just because you could buy this album if you wanted. And it is a very complete Kiss collection. Uh, even though the sound, you know, the songs today re-recorded don't sound as hot as they did, you know, back when they were originally recorded. Uh, but you get a lot of good stuff on that. I mean, on the bonus CD, not even talking about the original music from Sonic Boom, but on the bonus CD, uh, you got Deuce, Detroit Rock City, Shout It Out Loud, Hotter Than Hell, Calling Dr. Love, Love Gun, I Was Made For Loving You, Heavens, which is a great rocking version of it without the disco stuff, by the way. Heavens On Fire, Lick It Up, I Love It Loud, Forever, Christine 16, Do You Love Me, Black Diamond, Rock and Roll All Night. I mean, you've got a great selection of real, yeah, Kiss classics on there. And then you have Disc One, which is, you know, an awesome little, an awesome album. Um, in fact, I, you know, honestly, like part of me wants to rank it significantly higher. Like Modern Day Delilah was a great song. Russian Roulette's really good. Never Enough is really good. I mean, like there, there's a lot of good songs on this. Uh, a very enjoyable album, a, a very listenable uh, album, in my opinion, that came out in 2009. And this is kind of the return of Kiss. And I mean, at the time, you know, Paul Stanley's kind of rhetoric was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're still killing it. You know, we're in our 60s. Who gives a shit? But we can still come out with tons of albums. And that leads us to number, I guess this would be number 22, which uh, was the follow-up uh, that came in 2012, which was Monster. Um, another very good album, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I uh, Hell, um, Hell or Hallelujah was really good. Back to the Stone Age was lots of fun. The Devil is Me, I, I thought was an awesome Gene Simmons song. Uh, you know, so another one where there's, there's good shit involved. Uh, so, you know, and I, I know a lot of people sadly write these two albums off because they don't like the fact that they gave Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer, uh, you know, Ace and Peter's makeup. I just don't agree. They're good albums. Like they're really good albums. I mean, they're not the greatest albums. That's why they're not in the top 20, but they're very, very good albums. I, I enjoy the hell out of them. Um, and here, here's some, now the next picks people are going to be shocked by because these are all from like the seventies, but look, it's where I rank them folks. Uh, next one being rock and roll over from 1976. Of course, Mr. Speed, you know, great song on there. Um, rock and roll over is, is a fine album follow up to, uh, you know, to, uh, to destroyer, uh, you know, it speaks for itself. A very, very good album. Uh, alive Two. Now that ranks in, uh, I guess this would be number 24, yeah, I mean, All American Man, you know, some of those songs, like the, the the studio tracks on that are fantastic. The live portions, I don't know, don't do it for me compared to the live three, which is probably why it ranks so low. But uh, but the studio tracks on it are some of the best Kiss songs ever done. You know, they're, they're, they're very, very good. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Live 2 definitely deserves, I mean, it's, well, I'm going to do the ranking of the live albums here in a minute. Uh, but Live 2, very good. Uh, the self-titled album is next. Uh, at number 25, which would be Kiss, self-titled, duh. Uh, I mean, these songs are, you know, they're fantastic. Strutter, you know, uh, Deuce. I mean, a lot of this stuff, Black Diamond, of course, that I talked about, a lot of these songs still hold up very well today, an excellent album. Um, Hotter Than Hell, 
you know, Cold Gin, the song Hotter Than Hell. I mean, they're just, they're fun songs. Like they're not stylistically great. They're just very fun songs, you know? So it doesn't rank very high for me, but that's a number, uh, number 26. Dress to Kill. Now this is the album that Rock and Roll All Night, arguably the biggest Kiss song of all time. You know, Rock and Roll All Night was originally on Dress to Kill, but the version that everybody kind of remembers is off of the, you know, double live album, Alive. Uh, But Dress to Kill, yeah, I mean, not, you know, not the most memorable album. And and even, you know, understand this, even like Gene and Paul will tell you that the first three albums, which we just broke down, Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, and now Dress to Kill, they don't consider to be their best albums. Like, and they don't consider like them to be, I mean, they, they, you know, Kiss, they really like a lot of that. And there's something to be said for that first album, Magic. Uh, But, you know, they they know that like this wasn't really like pushing us as, as far as like the album presentations. And that's why they, they always push so hard with with their live albums, because that's their chance to go back and really give the punch to a lot of these songs that maybe they like the songs from the first three albums. Um, but it gives the punch that they deserve and, you know, that, like that extra kick. And and I agree. I, I like I, I respect their opinion on that. And I think it's absolutely true. Uh, so then coming in uh, later next is uh, Double Platinum. Uh, would this be 26? I've already lost count. <laughs> Double Platinum from 1978. Now, Double Platinum is, is a greatest hits album. Definitely, if you just love 70s Kiss, this is the only album you need uh, because there's a lot of tracks on this. Nothing really new. Like there's the 78, there's Strutter 78, which is kind of a disco version of Strutter, which is kind of cool, which the album opens, opens up with. Um, there is like, there's a lot of interesting, I don't want to say remixes, but like... Um, Cuts where one song kind of leads into the other when they originally didn't do that. That is that is really you know that that's really kind of cool. Uh, so you know it deserves a place in ranking of albums because of how it presents a lot of that. And for some reason, I just feel like a hundred thousand years sounds so good on this that that song. It sounds just fantastic on double platinum. Uh, so that that's a great one. Uh, the next one, uh, another another talk about divisive um, music from the elder. Now I actually don't hate this album. It's a concept album. It's this whole story. I really like it. I like the song, I, I Believe in Me. I think that that's a fun song. I think World Without Heroes is a great song. In fact, one of the reasons I love the the Unplugged, Kiss Unplugged, is because they do World Without Heroes. And you really get just how, like how powerful a song that is. Now, I mean, a lot of people remember it for the music video because in it, Gene is crying, wearing full makeup. And he like, he does that one tear thing and everybody's like, oh my God, this is just, this is too much. You know, holy Satan, please stop. And <laughs> right. But no, I, I like it. I, I really, I think there's a lot to love about this album. Um, you know, it, it's different. The band has felt differently about it at different times. Um, but I, I dig it. Like, I don't think it's the worst thing they've ever done by a long shot. Uh, and I, and I think it's very unique and I, and I kind of dig the storytelling. I like that, that. Gene was getting into that. Gene and Paul, you know, were getting into it. Like, yeah, let's, let's tell a whole story here. Kind of do like what Styx is doing or something. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I like it. I think the song, again, uh, World Without Heroes and I, both very good songs. Uh, some of the more operatic stuff that Paul does, eh, yeah, <laughs> like, I get it. That's not really, the, you know, the best. But like I said, it's certainly not the worst that they've they've ever done. And if anything, compared to the rest of the albums on this, uh, in that'll that'll top out this list, you know, it does have at least two good songs instead of maybe just one that like you kind of let slide, right? Uh, so, so I got to give it that. Um, next on the list is actually the box set from, um, you know, which is literally that huge four disc, four or five disc, you know, two thousand one box set, uh, and it 
the box set was really cool because it brought a lot of songs from releases around the world that maybe America never saw. And it finally put them in one place, which was really nice, even though it didn't, it didn't really collect everything. Um, but it's worthwhile. And there is a demo track, I think on disc three called time traveler, which is from the eighties. The song is great. It's pure eighties kiss and, you know, non-makeup kiss. And it, it is so, so good. And I think it was supposed to be for a movie or something. Uh, but Paul Stanley's in, in, you know, perfect Paul Stanley form. And, and I think that track alone is worth the price of admission for the whole thing because it's such a unique track. Uh, and you get, a lot of, um, you get a lot of unique cuts from Carnival of Souls, which is one of my favorite albums by Kiss. Uh, so I, I think it's, v- it's a very worthwhile uh, collection to, to have. Um, and also it has what was kind of unique at the time. It had a track from what was supposed to be a live four, not Kiss Symphony like we talked about, but what was originally supposed to be a live four, which will be on this list. Um, so yeah, the box set really cool. Uh, you know, it, at the very least it has time traveler and that's, that's totally fucking worth it. And it has those great cuts from carnival of souls. Um, and at the time, I mean, for a few years, people were wondering, okay, you, you know, you advertise, you put a track from, uh, you know, like a, a version of Detroit rock city or, or, uh, of rock and roll all night from a live four, uh, where the fuck's a live four. And, you know, people were waiting forever for a live four. And even in 2006, when a live four finally, or, um, not 2006, when, or 2003, when Alive 4 actually came out, people were like, uh, hey, this isn't Alive 4, and we know it's not. Where the hell is Alive 4? So the box set was really worthwhile for a long time. It doesn't hold up necessarily as well today as it did then uh, as far as its importance with what it delivered, but still a, a great box set, and, and it covers so much great music, but you know, you're know, you buying you know, four or five discs depending upon the version that you get. Um, next in the lineup is the last of the, really the Kiss full band albums, and that is Unmasked, uh, from 1978. Now this album, the album title is a trick because they didn't get unmasked, obviously, you know, until, uh, 83 with Lick It Up. Um, there is one good song on there. The rest of it, I just, the, I don't really care for the album. So, <laughs> you know, like, and I barely ever listen to it. Uh, I try to listen to it just to know it, just for Kiss, like, posterity. But it's obviously an album where people were, were just not feeling it. And they're coming off of, um, you know, like, the, the, or sorry, I, I, did I say it was from 78? It's from 1980. Because I was just like, it's coming off a of Dynasty, but I said it was 78 and Dynasty is 79. Uh, you're coming off a of Dynasty, not a great sequel album to come off of. But it had the song Shandy, which is a, you know, fun song. I mean, like, it's not a rocker at all. Uh, it sounds, Shandy sounded really good on on what ended up becoming Kiss Symphony Alive 4, where they did kind of the, the acoustic cuts in the beginning. Uh, so, but Shandy, you know, it's it's a song you can listen to. So I, I just, it ranks very low for me. Uh, but it, there, you know, that's, yeah. Maybe a couple other songs that are really listenable, but I don't know. It just doesn't doesn't do anything for me. Uh, but it is, admittedly, more listenable than Peter Chris's 1978 solo album, which is the next one on our list. Uh, <laughs> how many? Boy, we're over. We're, we're we're definitely over 30 now. <laughs> uh, Peter Chris, very low ranking. I don't I don't really care for that album at all. Um, uh, some people might dig it, kind of bluesy. I don't know. I just I don't I don't feel it. I didn't feel it. Um, it, it didn't, didn't hold a lot for me, but it is all, you know, it is original music. It is original kiss music. So I actually put it higher than, and this is the part where people are going to go nuts because they're like, where is the live one? You know, the seminal kiss album, where the hell is it? 
you know, a live one just doesn't, I don't know, like it, it never, again, I guess it's because I grew up with a live three that, that the other live albums, the live tracks just don't hold up for me. And so live one ranks underneath all those because there's nothing really original there. It, it just, it doesn't, I, I get for people why it's a snapshot in time and why it means so much for so many people. And I understand its importance in the lexicon of live albums. Like it made live albums legit again, because before live albums were just kind of something you'd toss out there and throw away to make a few bucks. I, not unironically, that's what live albums have become again, you know, in the past decade. Uh, but at least most of the time, but you know, at the time, this was a huge deal. I totally understand that, but it's just, I never listened to it. It just doesn't mean anything to me. So, and I don't even listen to it for posterity's reasons, you know, or like, just like have it in my head. It just doesn't mean anything to me. So it's, it's not the bottom of the list, but it's second to bottom <laughs> because here is the bottom of the list, folks. We're, we're two hours in. Uh, the bottom of the list is Alive the Millennium Concert which was originally supposed to be Alive 4. Now, this came out on that Alive box set that I mentioned when we were first talking about Alive 3. Um, and this came out in 2006. And so they called it the Millennium Concert. That's obviously not what it was originally supposed to be named because it was probably supposed to be part of the Farewell Concert or whatever uh, back in 99. And it was originally recorded in 99, even though it wouldn't come out for almost 10 years later. But this album nothing new. There's just nothing new here. There's nothing exciting here. So I get it. I'm glad it came out. There's probably a really damned good reason why it came out as part of an alive box set and not as its own CD. I mean, maybe in some territories it came out as, as, as its own CD, but largely in America, that's how it was released. Um, so yeah, it, it doesn't add anything to me. Now, if I were to count it as an entire live box set, it would probably rank significantly higher for a couple of reasons. One of them is, is that the, the version of a live three on the live box set that the Millennium Concert was a part of is, has taken off, which was never released in America before then. It was only on the Japanese edition. Um, but then the problem with the live box set is that you lose the studio tracks that make a live two so great. So like why Alive 2 gets such high ranking is because the studio tracks are so good on that. Um, so like it has its problems. Um, so the Millennium Concert, another one, I never listened to it. Like I, I've listened to it two, three times over the years, but you know, there's just nothing that exciting there. And the, the song, the track listing is not very exciting at all. Uh, it just, it just doesn't do anything for me. So you know, that said, I mean, listening to a Kiss live album is always is generally better than listening to anybody else's live album, except for maybe UFO or something. But, um, you know, it just they, they rank low, but they're important because live albums are so key to Kiss's existence. And that's why I included them in the breakdown. Uh, so uh, real quick, I'm going to do we're going to go from number one and we'll go all the way down into the 30s here. And, and then I'm going to going to, you know, do another another couple of quick picks and then we'll, we'll wrap this baby up. This is one of the longest Patreon episodes I've ever done. Um, okay, here we go. So number one, uh, Asylum, Then, and I'm not going to keep numbering them. Uh, or Well, yeah, fine, I'll number them. Number one, Asylum. Number two, Revenge. Number three, Alive Three. Uh, number four, Lick It Up. Number five, Crazy Nights. 
Number six, Creatures of the Night. Number seven, Hot in the Shade. Number eight, Animalize. Uh, number nine, Carnival of Souls. Number 10, Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. Woo! Uh, number 11, Love Gun. Number 12, Psycho Circus. Number 13, Destroyer. Number 14, Dynasty. Number 15, Paul Stanley. Uh, number 16, Gene Simmons. Number, seven, number 17, Ace Fraley. Number 18, Kiss Unplugged. Number 19, Kiss Symphony Alive 4. Uh, number 20, Killers. Number 21, Sonic Boom. Number 22, Monster. Uh, number 23, Rock and Roll Over. 24, Alive 2. 25, Kiss, the self-titled album. 26, Hotter Than Hell. 27, Dress to Kill. Uh, 28, Double Platinum. 29, Music from the Elder. Number 30, The Box Set, the Kiss Box Set. Uh, 31, Unmasked. 32, Peter Chris solo album. Uh, 33 is Alive 1. And then 34 is Alive the Millennium concert number 35 well some of those are going to shift to 35 or one of them is going to shift to 35 because there's probably going to be another kiss album even though it might not feature paul stanley and gene simmons in the future so there you go there's the breakdown 34 kiss albums uh you know i have got them all ranked and i'll put all that in the show notes now real quick like i said the live albums are so important uh you know to to kiss that i want to just you know rank the live albums uh honestly the the largely They'll largely rank just as, you know, as they did in, in the ranking, but I want to break it down. So, uh, number one, obviously Alive 3, especially with Take It Off, the version with Take It Off on there is just such a great, uh, a Kiss album. So I put that at number two, uh, number one, as far as live albums from Kiss, uh, Kiss Symphony Alive 4, I actually put in number two, which that did not rank the highest or the same way, uh, as far as live albums in my total ranking, um, Kiss Unplugged, I put it number three, which Kiss Unplugged ranked higher than Kiss Symphony uh, in, in the breakdown, but for different reasons. But as far as like live albums go, like listenable live albums, uh, Live 3, Kiss Symphony, then Kiss Unplugged. Then I got to give it to a Live 2 for, again, those studio tracks are so good. Uh, and then uh, a Live 1 and then a Live the Millennium Concert. So that's the order of the actual, just, just the live albums from Kiss uh, that I put them in. Uh, and if you didn't want to count Unplugged, if you just wanted to count the albums with the name Alive, uh, then yeah, it's a Live 3, a Live 4, a Live 2, a Live 1, and then a Live the Millennium Concert. Uh, now, as far as like best greatest hits album, that you can buy, you know, for them, like best greatest hits studio album instead of, you know, like a live album or something like that. Best compilation that you could purchase. If you're not getting the box set and even the box set, I don't think is delivers as well as, as it could. Um, Smashes, thrashes and hits the 1988 smashes, thrashes and hits. If you had to put one kiss album, you know, in your collection, that's the one that I, that I would pop in there is, is or like one greatest hits album. That's the one that I would go with. Uh, you know, again, let's put the X in sex. You make me rock harder. Great. Especially if you get the Japanese version that has crazy nights on it, it has a couple other extra tracks that aren't in the American version that makes it an even more complete collection, uh, in my opinion of, uh, you know, of, of great music. And you have Eric Carr doing Beth on it, which is just fantastic. Like that's, it's so good. Uh, the best version of Beth, you know, bar none. And that's a beautiful song. I, you know, I, I can admit that. Um, let's see. Then we've got, uh, now last, the last, uh, this is, this is the end. The, like if you could only have one kiss album out of all the ones we've talked about, just the one kiss album that you need to, you know, that, that 
okay, I look, I can just pick one. What, what would it be, you know, that offers maybe the best uh, perspective of kiss gives the best kiss attitude, uh, the best, you know, kiss technicality, you know, all of that different stuff, like what, just what delivers. And I've got, it's not going to be asylum, which was the top pick, which is my, you know, my favorite kiss album. It's actually going to be a live three. I got to give it to a live three. Like if there was one kiss album that I'd hand to somebody, that's the one, even though it's not a studio album, even though it's not studio cuts, uh, just the attitude, the energy, the the representation, the retrospective of it, all of that just makes it like the Kiss album, in my opinion. And it's also them in their prime. Like, I mean, or, you know, I mean, you could argue if you feel they're out of their prime since the 70s or something, but I, I think they're really in their prime. And that showed with, of course, uh, you know, the album Revenge. Uh, but yeah, Alive 3 is just it just, it covers all the bases. It hits all the high notes. It does the seventies, does the eighties, does the nineties. I mean, you know, it's got so much going for it. Um, you know, again, Psycho Circus, Sonic Boom, Monster, they're all good albums, you know, that, that can't be, and Carnival of Souls as well, obviously, uh, you know, can't be represented by a live three, but what does get represented gets put on in the best shape that Kiss has ever been in, in my opinion. Uh, so yeah, Alive 3 is the real takeaway album here, uh, in my opinion. So there we go. There is a complete ranking of every Kiss album, even live albums and some of the greatest hits that matter, uh, you know, that actually had new content on them and all that. Um, I can't really think, you know, I, I mean, honorable mentions. Yeah. Like, uh, Paul Stanley came out with a solo album a few years ago called Live to Win. It's an awesome album. Uh, Gene Simmons, Boy, this would have been back in, was that 2005, 2004, 2005, when he came out with his, his, uh, another solo album called Asshole. Amazing album. There's like, there's a song he did on there with Zappa, uh, you know, like with Frank Zappa, but of course, you know, it was done through computers because Frank Zappa was, was, you know, has sadly left us, uh, long ago. Um, and you know, it was, the song's Black Tongue. It's really good. Uh, and he did Firestarter from Prodigy. I mean, it's like, it's, it's so good. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like extraneous Kiss related material, uh, you know, that's out there that I didn't cover uh, in this. Bruce Kulick has done solo albums. He did BK3, which was really good. Uh, you know, and Eric Carr had Rockology, which there's some fun songs on Rockology. I really dig that. And Kulick's done other stuff too. He did Audio Dog, Transformer. He's had a, he's had a few um, uh, solo albums. Eric Singer had the Eric Singer Project. And of course, Eric Singer now. You know, he, I mean, that guy's amazing, you know, to, to play with Alice Cooper and Kiss and, you know, whoever needs him at the time. I mean, it's just incredible. So there's a lot of extraneous stuff to look at, too. But, I mean, that's just that's the legendary nature of Kiss. I mean, and, and some of Ace's albums are really good. You know, I got to I got to hand it to him. I mean, some of his shit is, is like Rock Soldiers is so good. Uh, <laughs> that's such a great song. Um, but anyway, yeah, Kiss, I mean, my favorite band of all time, bar none, that'll I guarantee that'll never change because who could, you know, who else could replicate this, this kind of history? You know, who, who could replicate like this catalog? Nobody, you can't do it anymore. And there's a lot of conversation to be had about why that is, uh, you know, because that might be a product of the times. I mean, but hot damn. I mean, (laughs) this is just, it's so good. They're so amazing. Um, I look forward. like I said, I do look forward to, uh, you know, or, I mean, I don't look forward to it. I wish Kiss and Gene would drink the Fountain of Youth and live forever. But, or uh, Paul and Gene, did I say Kiss and Gene? I wish Paul and Gene, you know, would, would do that. But they're not going to. 
So I, you know, I look forward to the day when, you know, KISS continues, but it's all new people. That's totally fine with me. I'm really okay with that. I don't know who it's going to be, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be the right people because obviously just looking at this, at this list and what we talked about, Paul and Gene are tremendous business people and people that have uh, taste, you know, so I think they can deliver on it. So KISS has got a bright future ahead of it, uh, but I enjoyed going down memory lane and looking at their past uh, with this, and I hope you enjoyed it too, and I appreciate the patron uh, that asked the question um, about it, and I hope you all enjoyed the little uh, Patreon bonus content. So, woo, that's it for me. Uh, new Sovereign Tech, of course, will be out this week. Uh, we'll have a good time with that, and uh, lots, of course, you know, if you're if you're a new patron, there's tons of content to go back. There's hundreds of hours of content to listen back to, uh, and, and, you know, you can flip through it all, and thank you all to, to, to all of you for being a Sovereign Tech patron and helping this all go round and round. So, whew, there it is. Enough of that. I'll see you on the other side. Woo! Kiss! Shout it out loud, baby! Woo! Just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.